This is episode 268. Welcome to the place where the story never ends. All right. Well, while we're waiting for Trisha, because we are now recording, I have a new phone. I worked and worked and worked until I put a Harry Potter ringtone in it because I like my Harry Potter ringtone for my phone. I'm working in my office today at work and my ringtone goes off and I'm like, oh, cool. I have a call and it stops immediately. And I pulled the phone out of my pocket and no missed calls. I'm like, that's weird. Somebody else has one sitting next to me. And I'm like, did you hear that? And she's like, yeah, I heard it too. So then it goes off again. I've got the phone in my hand. It's not doing anything. I'm like, what is this? She's like, no, no, Sue, it's true. I, I hear it too. I'm like, what? So it turns out that one of the parents that was volunteering has the exact same ringtone as I do. Of course. <laughs> We've been together all year. Granted, her child's not in my class, but I sub in that class all the time. Never knew she was a Harry Potter fan. That's cool. Turned her on to fan fiction, showed her pictures of Melinda Leo, said, this is an oh, author. pictures of us in front of the on your boat in front Azkaban. Of the... I loved how Facebook said visited Azkaban under all of our names for a while. That was the coolest part. Okay. <laughs> hey, there's a movie. Hey. Sorry. No, no, it's cool. Hi, everyone. We, uh, we tried to use a different room, but it didn't work because we don't have bot capabilities. So oh. <laughs> it's just been a, you know. Crazy day. It's been poofa. That's how we roll around here. Yeah. Well, that's okay. That's okay. I have three boys in the back of my yard, um, put up a tent, and now they're in trying towels to... this time? No, they're not in towels this time. <laughs> but they're in the... They're camping in my backyard. They put... They were trying to get a... T- they were trying to talk me into... Let me take my flat screen TV out there so oh, they can dear. play video games and stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, they wanted, they wanted to take your flat screen out to the tent. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> they want to take my flat screen out to the tent. I said, no. Well, they're like, well, we got a projector. I'm like, here, here's a white sheet. You can put the white sheet out there. Project it. <laughs> well, we and, and I go project it away from the house. <laughs> I, uh, we have one, a projector that would go and we'd put it on the house, but I just got like a big white tablecloth and that's what we, we would hang up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have, I had a, I have a white, sh- I have like one of my sheets is white. So I'm like, here, you can, you can do that. Just make sure it's away. I go, you can project it to my, our house, but, or away from, but don't put it towards the other two houses. To the neighbor's house. Yeah. yeah. I go, it's a school. I go, it's not a school night for you, but it's a school night for all of us. They're done already. <laughs> Oh yeah, they yeah they yeah they were done at um oh they were done on Thursday. So oh, them what? Yeah. That's so yeah. early. Well, they start like middle of August. Oh okay okay. Hmm. And this year we didn't have too many snow days, so we were pretty good. Ah. So they're just going in and out, and so I'm waiting for like three o'clock in the morning when the tent falls down on top of them. <laughs> Because they put it up without directions. <laughs> Oops. Oh, this will be fun. I can't wait to hear the stories next time we record. Yeah, it reminds me of the time we ran away from home to the park across the street and pitched a tent. What? I'm talking to Sue and them. Hi, Ulrich. He is huge. <laughs> yeah, he is. I saw pictures of you guys together. He's huge. <sighs> Makes me old. Oh, makes you and me both, honey. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Uh, you know, Colin, the one who just helped me mm-hmm. fix hair, if you look back on Power of Emotion, the first story that I wrote, Colin was in diapers at the time, so it's oh, been a very, very long time. Oh, boy. Yeah. Turns out my phone call I just got was getting a part in the um, theater show, so that's fun. Yeah. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. Yes. yes. What, what, what show are you doing? It's called Go Back for Murder. It's an Agatha Christie play. <gasps> oh, awesome. I love Agatha Christie. I haven't heard of that one. It's um, her own rewriting of a Perot story because at the time oh. when she was, she she wrote them into plays, but she didn't think there was anybody who could portray him properly. So oh. whenever she did a play that was from one of her his stories, she'd take him out and put in somebody else. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> Speaking of Agatha Christie, I just watched my parents and I just watched the BBC reenactment of And Then There Were None. And Ooh, it was a good. good. Charles Dance was in it. That was really bizarre. Um, hmm. Being like, oh, my God, you're not dead. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. I'm going to go see Sister Act, the play. Oh, I'm really That's excited. So One of my brother's friends is playing the Monsignor. Mm. So very cool goes to support him. I just saw Death Leopard and Journey, and I took my fifteen-year-old. Oh, cool. <laughs> Teaching him about concerts. Well, That's- yeah, it was his first concert, and he was just like, "Okay, Good first job, of all, uh, showing your son to eighties music too. Very proud of him. Oh, oh, yeah, he, he, yeah, he." He's an old soul anyhow, and he loves Johnny Cash and Willie Nelson and all this stuff. He knew he knew yeah. more journey he knew more journey songs than he did Def Leppard songs. But he was like, Mom, that is probably it me too. And he's, he looks at me and he goes, It's all these concerts this loud. I'm like I'm like, You have no idea. I'm like, I remember being in front of the things and my hair waving back. <laughs> I'm like, this is kind of, this is kind of tame to tell you the truth. We can't rock it like we used to. (laughs) (laughs) Most of us are going to bring a hip. (laughs) Yeah, don't do that. That would not be good. But yeah, he was just like, uh, yeah. And then he played, prior to that, he played four hours of, they played Airsoft War, Wars again, down, down into the pit, which is like a mile down, down, downhill. And, Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, he was hungry. He was tired and. He was kind of cranky for a little bit. Then once Journey came on, he was pretty good. So, oh, that's good. <laughs> so. Well, my my other real quick story before because I know we need to start is we tried we had a chicken rodeo here. <laughs> we, we have a new chicken coop oh, for chickens, a mobile chicken coop, and we said, okay, how are we going to get fifty chickens out of the old chicken coop into the new chicken coop? And I said, well, if we bring them out of their home block it off so they can't get back in, park the new chicken coop down there, they'll just go in it. Yeah, that didn't work. So we had to catch all of these chickens. And so we'd drive them into areas and we'd grab them and we'd put them in the new place and it's one person closing opening doors. One of the chickens got so scared, it flapped its wings and hit my mom in the face. And she's like, oh, man, that's going to give me a flat, fat lip. She has a bruise from the top <laughs> of her nose down. Oh, no. It looks like oh, a chicken. Oh, the no. Oh. From the chicken wing. Yeah. So most of them are settling in really well. I mean, poor things. They've been in this house forever. 
We've pulled them out of it. We've put them in this new high-tech place. It's really nice, but, you know, it's not their home. <laughs> what do you mean it's high-tech? we drove them into the field. So not only did they get put in a place they didn't like, then they got driven away. So most of them aren't real happy, but they've settled in. We have three that have broken out of the new pen three for the last three days. And so we're not sure what we're going to do with them. We might have to get rid of them. Okay. Um, how's this thing mobile? Can you drive it? It's built on an old dairy wagon. It's a flatbed wagon. Mm-hmm. And we had we hired somebody to build this house on top of it. And then our neighbor guy who owns tractors came up and hooked his tractor to it. And he's going to just pull it to the different places we need it. I could conceivably attach it to my Jeep and pull it. Wow. But okay, to, because you're moving because you're moving it to place to place. Okay, okay. This is just going to be a dumb question. Why are you moving it to place to place? Okay, so this is um, chickens with Sue Hour. Chickens are <laughs> besides just driving me nuts. Chickens are, are are very interesting creatures. So if you put them out on a pasture, chickens mm-hmm. go, "Ooh, look! This is my favorite part of the grass." So they eat that. And then um, the next day, they eat that one again. And the next day, they eat that one again. And they eat it so many times that it kills it. And then they go, oh, that's gone. I'll eat my second favorite thing. And so okay. then they eat that until they kill it. So what you have to do is you have to move them every three or four days so that they don't kill the one thing that they like. Okay. D- it is it so? Are they considered free-range chickens then? Still, absolutely, because they're okay. they're out in a pasture. Okay. We have an electrified fence around it. The first day, we weren't sure how well it was working, but Bonnie, the dog, stuck her nose on it the other day and got shocked really badly, and now she won't even go in the field where the chickens are because oh. it hurt her so bad. Doesn't stop the oh. chickens; they stick their head in there all the time, but. It's well, got, got a smaller head voltage on it. Once <laughs> we got it figured out. Well, so, you could have some fried chicken then. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was going to say. But what happens in the wild then? Do they just sit there and eat the same place over and over and over? Or do they sort of... They, I think they kind of migrate move. around. Uh, Are there wild chickens? Thank you. That's what I needed to know. <laughs> that was my next question. Well, there, there are in Hawaii... Really? In Hawaii, there's just Behave. these chickens that are just loose all over Hawaii. And they, the shopkeepers put food out for them and stuff like that. They're just kind of this pesty uh, kind of a, um, what's the word I want, mascot thing. I, re- I don't remember what island it is. I don't think it's the main island, and it's not Oahu. It's one of the islands my mom went to. But she brought me home a stupid chicken shirt. <laughs> Wait, the shirt was stupid or the shirt said stupid chicken on it? My mom went to Hawaii and all she brought me was a stupid chicken shirt. <laughs> it's not okay. what it is. It says something like stupid chickens on it, but it doesn't say my mom went to Hawaii. Uh, wait, I, it's in the drawer right next to my foot. Let me see if I can pull it out. Oh my god, I just... <laughs> Scott. Oh, yeah, we have to ask Scott a 
Scott's question. All right, ask Scott his question. I don't remember what it was. Hey, so oh, it was. do the voice acting for the different oh, yeah. uh, characters, do you have to uh, be in character or, or how do you do it? Do you move around to be in the different characters? There you go. Not really, because you still have to keep your face the same distance from the mic. Or, you know, that's something you have to learn because the instinct is for people to do that, especially if you're like theater or otherwise trained or use different kinds of acting. The instinct is to move around, but you have to only do that with the like your arms and shoulders and the other parts of your body and not move your head because otherwise you're going to start moving off of the mic and then it sort of sounds different because you're farther away. Yeah. And, yeah. Etc. Um, but you can change your facial expressions. Mm-hmm. So I sort of could you have I, could you I put find, do, do uh, like in could you do like in theater? You know how they have the mic kind of like strapped to their forehead and stuff like that. <laughs> Technically, you could yes, but um, those mics usually aren't as good quality as the uh-huh. ones that people use to record just vocals. Um, but that okay. that is what they wondered. use for like if you're in a musical or something and you need the extra amplification, uh, a lot of times people will have those wire wireless mic packs. That sort of yeah, I see, I see them every once in a while when, I, when I've gone to the theater. I'm like, oh, my God, he has a big old pimple on his forehead or something like that. And then I realize it's the mic. <laughs> and then I got to stop mm-hmm. looking at it because I keep, I keep staring at it. And then I'm like, stop it. They have to put them in interesting places, especially because um, – for most people, they just you. It goes around your ear, and then it comes along your jawline to close mm-hmm. to your mouth. But if you have a beard, you can't do that because then there's tape that goes on to stick the mic on, and then you have to pull tape off. So um, yeah. when my beard is long like enough, that, they can yeah. sometimes just sort of weave it through, and it doesn't have to be taped. <laughs> or otherwise, it, it just like it follows like the chin line that's above where my beard gets- line is and sits up there. <laughs> But then, like, like French braided in. <laughs> just, that's exactly what I was thinking. I can just see them braiding Scott's beard around his microphone. I want pictures yeah. of this. You can't really do that much. They, they did it a little bit with, um, I can't remember what it, which show it was where they did something like that. Um, but the trouble then is if, if, like, your beard, if my beard is around the head of the mic, then it rubs up against it and you get scratching uh, noises. Yeah. So what ends up usually happening is it just sort of goes up along, like, just under my nose where my cheekbone is, and then that's where they leave the mic end. Or else yeah. it um, goes, like, further down sort of on, on your throat, um, the other side of okay. the beard. But, mm. Yeah, I would say if it goes like near your nose, you wouldn't like well, if you're a nose breather, you or you have to do a, like you would hear that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have to figure out. That's why you have people who test the mics and do levels and such, and figure out where the best place to put it is. And like um, when I was in Spamalot, they um, they had us um, you know specify which side of us the mic was on depending on whether any choreography had you laying down on one side or something. Yeah. So the mic had to be on the other side. That makes sense. But Yeah. And as far as doing characters and stuff goes, I just sort of, you, you kind of almost have to overdo it with voice acting a little bit. It's more like theater that way because you're trying to convey everything just from your voice. Where in theater you're trying to like uh, enhance everything so that people in the back of the stadium or wherever can understand yeah, yeah. what's happening, 
Whereas in TV and film acting, you're, you might have a camera a foot from your face and you want to be a very subtle and naturalistic. Um, and so I, especially doing like Harry Potter characters and things, you sort of find the, the thing that they do a lot and focus on that. Um, like, I don't, I don't really know specifically what, um, like what my face would be doing as I'm doing different things. Cause I've just sort of, it's become instinctual now. So I'd have to like film myself doing some characters and see what happens. But the example that I remember, because I remember doing it at the time is when Gilderoy Lockhart came up in um, chamber of secrets, they talk about how he's, you know, which weekly's most charming smile award. And so you just smile all the time. Just keep your teeth really wide, and it's very annoying. And that's good. Most old child must smile. My eye turned into some so kind he, of accent there. So he's he's basically the. Uh, Kind of interestingly, now that I've gone where I've gone, he's kind of uh, the stereotypical radio host kind of thing. He's doing, <laughs> yeah. Everything is amazing. It's great. And except English, and that's Gilderoy. Um, and um, Snape is kind of the opposite because he's very, you know, flat and everything is very much down here. And why are you talking to me? I don't care what you're talking about. You know. <laughs> Is it harder for you then to do high voices? I mean, because I've got, you know, a couple of people who do audiobooks um, who I listen to, and some of the women can do men really well. Some of them can't. Yeah, I agree. And, mm-hmm. You know, there are. It's, there are... it's harder to do voices that are out of your vocal range, regardless mm-hmm. of what that is. So, like, I cannot uh, convincingly sound like a woman. I just have to figure out something about the character and hope it reminds you of the character and you can go along with me. Right. I know I've been listening to Canon in the car with Jim Dale, you know, Mm -hmm. slowly going through the series. And I don't think he's obviously not doing a woman's, but, but he still makes certain, like, especially McGonagall. It's a, you recognize her when, when he's talking in her voice. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there are sort of, there are two or three things that you can do and you can either go like, Monty Python and everything's very falsetto and you're up here and you're pretending you're a woman and it really mm-hmm. sounds like Mickey Mouse. Um, or you it can... Really remind me of Julia Child. <laughs> Hello. Or you can try and do... Do you have wine? Find some sort of other quality. Like I often, um, like if I'm doing, I don't know, Amelia Bones or somebody, I'll bring more nasalness to it and just sort of go back here and do this kind of thing and say, Mr. Potter, what are you doing at the Wizengamot and et cetera, and pretend this is a woman, even though it could uh, pres- it could possibly be like a man who's a tenor. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. But it works. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, well, the thing is, I remember yeah, with Jim Dale when he does Ginny. Ginny's very, very raspy when he, when he, do- when he does Ginny. And I heard him do, I just did the, the night, the night circus and he did, he he did that. And there was a couple, I'm like, oh my God, there's Slughorn. Slughorn's Mm -hmm. in there a lot. Yeah. There's only so many voices you could do. Oh yeah. What about Dumbledore? Is there anything specific that you can think of when you, when you do Dumbledore? Um, He's, 
he and Remus are similar in that there's a little bit more roughness and hoarseness to it. Like Remus, I do that because he's a werewolf and he's been screaming three nights a month. Uh, and he's described, I think, as hoarse when Harry first meets him. And then Dumbledore, I add, there's a lot more air. Like I'm, I'm taking in bigger lungfuls and like everything sort of comes out like this and I'm using more. It's a, it's a thinner sort of voice and yet you still get the uh, authority from Dumbledore because he knows what he's talking about. Uh, sort of thing. <laughs> so he's always, he's always breathing out. I wish I could do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I could probably do like maybe like two or three words and then I start going off and I end up being a totally different language. Yeah. It's just practice. You have to figure out like, what are the things? Is it a lower or higher voice than you're used to? Like where in your vocal range are you going to keep it? Uh, Are you trying to be smoother or rougher? Or uh, if you have like accents that you can do, then that's a thing that you can add in. Or again, that's a thing that you practice. Like I learned how to do English accents through trying to make Harry Potter things. And Uh my, I have like cassette tapes of the first two books that mom still has somewhere that are terrible, but she likes them because <laughs> you know, it was just me really trying to do an English accent. Do you... It's not there, <laughs> but yeah. But do you find, I mean, even in general, like I know way many more things about just British pop culture even than, than there's any sure, reason that I have to know it. You yep. know what I mean? It's just funny. <laughs> Like knowing that uh, the boot of a car is a trunk and <laughs> yeah, the pavement biscuits. is a sidewalk and what's biscuits and yeah, all these various things. And well, I chips, and chips are fries, not yeah, I, did, I just <laughs> did that. To, I just did that to my son where I'm like, do you want some chips? And he's like, mom, there's no chips here. <laughs> I'm like, these are chips. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Well, it was like when we were reading. But we the do last that to ourselves day. too. Like, uh, even when you go out to a restaurant, you order fish and chips. They don't say fish and fries, even though that's what they're giving you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. I guess because it's an English dish, the the name has stuck, even when the other uses of it didn't have it. Right. Then, it's funny. Well, that was cool. All right. So before we even started this podcast, we have learned how to be a voice actor, <laughs> and we've learned about chickens. But yeah, I mean, we're, we <laughs> voice acting and chickens. Mm-hmm. That's that. That's and the title. If you okay. want to, if you want to hear a male voice actor who can do convincing females, listen to Michael Harley over on the. Um, oh yeah. I I don't know how he does it. It's it's very strange to me, but it works. <laughs> He's does it have amazing. voice acting chickens? Um, no. Anyhow, we should probably actually start the show. It's kind of a good thing Bob isn't here. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I was thinking about me, because part of it, though, is you have to do the voice acting thing. You have to have a good memory to remember how that, what accent you've done kind of thing or Mm -hmm. what voice you've done. Because when I'm doing Dungeons Mm -hmm. and Dragons, I I do voices for the different characters. But once I stop that voice and try to start it up again, you know, after somebody else talks. I lose it. I'm Mm -hmm. terrible at it. I'm pretty good at making different voices up, but I can't keep them together to repeat. Yeah, I yeah, I know. Like Goblin, Goblin. I'm I'm really good at goblins because I can just talk like this all day long, and I can be a goblin, and and they all think I'm really funny. And that's why I can keep going. That I can understand. You sound like something from Sesame Street. (laughs) Thank you. 
Well, even Jim Dale on the last book, because I think he had to, because the audiobook came out at the, with the same thing. Mm-hmm. There were some things where I was listening to him, like, okay, who's, who's this character that he's playing? Because I couldn't remember, like, it was like sometimes the, the Ron and Harry, Ron and Harry kind of look sound. little good. bits or something. See, so I always think, I, Ron and Hermione, I think he makes sound very much alike. Yeah, yeah. There was times where <laughs> really? I'm like, is it, is it Ron? Is it Hermione? Or is it Harry? Mm-hmm. Or sometimes I'm like, when did Jenny get here? Yeah. <laughs> My problem was the Weasleys. I got to like partway through book four, I think, and all the Weasleys showed up in the backyard. And I'm like, okay, all these people are going to sound the same. <laughs> and well, yeah, you, know, you got to think about it. I mean, a lot of families do sound, sound the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think the fifth book is where he, he hit the, he hit the Guinness book award records. He got all the, the all most, most voices. Most vo- yeah, the most voices in like one one book or something like that. Mm, I wouldn't be yeah. surprised. I did not make it through the fifth book. <laughs> wouldn't it be then easier to have a larger cast so one person's not trying to do like five gajillion voices? Yes, but it's yeah. more expensive. Yeah, yeah. true. But I it's think Harry Potter. I, I mean, yeah, yeah. full cast audio is really fun when you can get it, but. Oh, oh yeah, I, I, I think I got one in Golden Compass. Golden yes, Compass had yes, a full, full cast. Yeah, that was pretty. That was pretty. Honestly, that was pretty awesome. I'll have to listen to that one again. I'm not sure. I feel like they should do more where there's like partnerships, or like two or three people, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like what well, they'll have a woman to do all the female voices and a guy to do all the male voices, or maybe bring in a couple more to like, I'll take this chunk, you take this chunk. And like, mm-hmm. so they don't have to yeah. converse with themselves. There's quite some so much. That do that. Right. Well, they, yeah, there are. Cause my two favorite female authors did a book audio book together. And the, one of them did the older character and the other did the younger character. And I'm hmm. really okay. hoping that the two of them will get together with my favorite male audiobook reader and the three of them will do a book because then <laughs> I'll be very happy. <laughs> so who's playing with their mouse right now? I'm not doing anything. There's this funny little crunching sound and I think it's a mouse. And I'm not sure about that. I didn't touch anything. <laughs> I touched nothing. <laughs> Welcome to season nine of Potterfic with <laughs> We are going to start quickly and try to stay on topic. Well, it's because they won't let me have an extensive repair with Snake and it pisses me off. Sex and snork eggs. We can't rock it like we used to. <laughs> Most of us are gonna bring a hit. I swear yeah. I read them for the stories. <laughs> Wait, so they've turned Snape into the chef from The Little Mermaid? You just can't say that to the Dark Lord. <laughs> but I digress. Us digress? Never. <laughs> no, never, never. Chickens with Sue Hour. <laughs> My mom went to Hawaii and all she brought me was a stupid chicken. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, it just... <laughs> yeah, it's called... Good night, guys. I'm already falling asleep. I think I did at one point. Mr. Potter, what are you doing at the Wizarding Mart? Yeah. Holy shit, did I fall asleep through the whole fucking thing almost? Apparently. <laughs> that is going in an intro, too, please. Where the hosts are all our friends, somehow the tangents seem to blend. Come on our journey round the bend. Are 
out of it weekly where the story never ends. Welcome to season nine of Parfic Wheel. <laughs> 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 Take two. Take two. Welcome to Season 9 of Potterfic Weekly, the flagship of the family of podcasts. Wow, I really should have had a drink tonight. The flagship of the family of podcasts, that is Potterfic Weekly. This is the first story of our new season, and we are really excited to bring it to you. It is called Ending in Thanks by, oh, I can't do this, Relmer06. My name is Sue. There you go. You did it. Yay. I'm Scott. I'm Trisha. <laughs> Y'all want to try that one more time? Craig's got it. They're separate. That's true. I could just shove things over and do it that way and and make it work. And I'm me. Well, I'm Trisha. We never actually decide going in what order, and we just sort of have to hope it works. <laughs> and some days it does, and some days it doesn't. So, um, as some of you are... Well, Don't forget Mooney. Well, Mooney was in there. She and Melinda went at the same time. Also did I, so it was all three of us. Yeah, well, it'll be fun. Now, I can, okay. I can bring it, break it apart. Um, as some of you might be wondering why we started this conversation of this story with voice acting lessons, uh, Scott has recorded this story, uh, and we will put a link up so that... If you want to listen to it, you can. So that's why we were all talking about the... Because it's highly enjoyable to listen to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I highly (laughs) recommend it. It was a fun story to read. It was, as you're reading it, it just sort of seemed like that sort of story. I I found myself reading it to myself as I got partway through, I think, chapter three. And I was like, you know what, I might as well actually record this. (laughs) Yeah, I thought it just blended in very seamlessly with seamlessly with with what does go on in canon. So it was just, Mm -hmm. you know, a bunch of old favorites talking about what's happening in the story. So it was it was cool that way. Yeah. Yeah, and I love missing moments like this. Mm-hmm. I suppose we should actually say this is called Ending in Thanks, or uh, five times a conversation between Professors Lupin and McGonagall ended in thanks, and one time it didn't have to. Yeah. And we start with Remus, who's on his way up to the castle, uh, because he's been offered a job, and he's not really sure he wants to take it, but he's going up to have a talk with what he thinks is the headmaster, and it turns out that it's going to be McGonagall. And he's 33 years old, and he's just thinking that he feels like a student again as he's standing in front of the castle. McGonagall has that effect. Mm-hmm. You know what? I think it's even just being back in your own school. I know when my son first started high school, they did a night where, like, you walk in and you go, you follow their schedule and go to their classes. Mm-hmm. And so the teacher's basically just talking to a bunch of parents, and I, I, I think my Hermione came out of but my hand raised automatically with the question. It was just like, oh, back in school, you raise hand, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My my parents are both teachers, and my mom taught at my high school, and so but so my, my mom's friends are my high school teachers. So I see them every once in a while. I'm like, hi, Mrs. Moon. Hi, Miss <laughs> Kelly. And I still do that. And Mrs. Moon is not Mrs. Moon anymore anyhow. <laughs> but she, 
but she always will be to you. <laughs> yeah, she's always Mrs. Moon and Miss Kelly. And, and they're like, you know, you can call me Colleen. And Carol, I'm like, I can't. No. <laughs> I just can't. I'm like, I've known now you more than longer than I knew you when I was in school, but still I just can't do it. I think I think your Mrs. Moon and I might be related. I would be fascinated to find out. <laughs> Speaking of, of that, knowing uh, you longer without or whatever, I saw a, fo- a post on Facebook. I cannot talk tonight. I saw a post on Facebook the other day, within the last day or two, that said that George has been alive longer without Oh, I saw that too. Why do you have to post things like that? I mean, honestly, <laughs> what is the purpose of, of doing that to someone? <laughs> really? It just makes you sad? It, it does. It, it does. I, I just, like, thank you, Satan. You know, it's like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> yeah, well, some people just like to do that kind of stuff. <laughs> So McGonagall greets Remus and says, we would have sent the carriage for you. And he's like, yeah, it's a nice day for a walk. And she says, yeah, but we don't want uh, people to think you were denied hospitality. And he said, I won't tell anybody if you don't tell anybody. And she welcomes him aboard. I'm so glad you're going to be teaching you. And he's like, I'm not going to do this. (laughs) I haven't said yes yet. Yet. I don't even think he says yet, does he? He just says, yeah. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, whatever. And she just keeps on going. And it's kind of funny. It's just like, I'm just going to pull you into it. Yeah. You know, yeah. We know, we know you're going to do it, but we'll let you think that you're, you're going, you, it's your decision. <laughs> we'll but let you think we are, it's free will. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I like what she says. Remus, I want to insult your intelligence by being around the bush. We need you. And he thinks it's because of Sirius Black. And she says, well, it's that, but it's also because we need somebody that can actually teach. <laughs> she says some pretty disparate yeah, things yeah. about Lockhart. <laughs> yes. Well, they had Lockhart, then, I mean, they did kind of, I mean. Oh, oh was okay. I, I t- what was his name again? I totally forgot. Quirrell. 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 Oh, my God. It totally, it just totally. Well, it was Quirrell slash Voldemort. So, I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, Quirinius Quirrell. I, he was a he was a teacher of a different subject before he took over the defense Muggle post studies. too, right? Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he'd been there for years, and then he took over defense, and that was the end of that. Oh, he was the Muggle study. Oh, I didn't even realize he was that the Muggle studies teacher. Yep, yeah. And then Burbage replaced him. Uh... And a little bit further in here, Remus meets Burbage, and and he calls her a very chipper or something woman, and, and it made me feel bad because I was like, oh, yeah, man, she's gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so I thought the same thing. So it's Remus, yeah. That's yeah. True. Aww. Yeah, I'm playing that Hogwarts mystery things, and I'm learning about Tonks and everything like that, and I keep looking at her like, you're going to die. You're just going to yeah. die. Oh, there's more information about Tonks? Well, there's not, like, more information. You kind of, like, get to, it's kind of like uh-huh. you get to know her kind of thing. And you got to learn to be friends. Kind of, Aww, kind of stuff. It, it, it is quite, it's almost quite sickening, but I'm addicted to it and I can't stop playing. I'm bad. That's why I refuse to put it on my phone because I'm sure I'd be the same way. I was like, no, I don't oh, have yeah. time for this. It's probably just as I well just my phone is too old for it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, don't do it. I haven't tried it. I got the new phone so I can, but I'm not good at games. So, Listen, so I'm not good at games. I don't do games. Not like this. I mean, unless they're puzzles. 
mm-hmm. I don't do I don't do game I don't do games, but this is very easy. I mean, yeah, at an eleven year a ten year old, yeah, it's it's more geared towards the very younger ones kind of thing. And, but I'm still, yeah, I'm still, but I'm still addicted to it, and I'm I have fun, and I I get to see Sprout, and I'm like. Sprout, the only thing I don't like about it, they make Snape do this oh, oh, kind of noise every time I talk to him. And I'm like, would you please, Snape would never go, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, is so- Scott, I need you to do that sound. <laughs> I don't know that I can. Because <laughs> I think that would be Hold a on one second. Tone. Not so high. Not, don't get any higher. That's a little too much. Be careful. They've started a fire. I, I apologize. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, I can picture what's going on. We've literally caught branches above it in our, in our backyard. <laughs> Wait, so they've turned Snape into the chef from The Little Mermaid? <laughs> <laughs> I think that is Okay, now that's the title. Snape is the Little Mermaid. Snape is the Little Mermaid. Okay. Oh, dear. So she takes him and shows him his classroom and talks to him about Harry Mm -hmm. and wants to know when the last time he'd seen Harry was. And he said, well, you know, he was pretty young. I only saw him a few times. Yeah. And, you know, we decided that it was just too dangerous to see him. So he was maybe 10 months. Yeah. And Remus doesn't think he's qualified to be a teacher, but mm-hmm. Professor McGonagall says, you know, you were tutoring everybody in when you were at school here. You're, you're the sole reason Reggie Fullerton passed Defense Against the Dark Arts at all. Right. So if you could teach him, you could teach anyone. And, you know, even if know, that wasn't true, you'd still be a better choice than Lockhart. <laughs> what was that? Some of the Slytherins are probably dumber. Yeah, I, he had to have helped Wormtail along there, too. Oh, yeah, that I, was I, my next yeah. thing, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess there's said, no, like, standardized well, you know, teaching thing that you have to be in. And I can just picture, like, Remus's face, like, when McGonagall is complimenting him that way, like, like the, the almost the subtle surprise, like, like that anyone is complimenting, you know what I mean? It, it's, it's like, you know, it's very endearing. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he's not used to having anything like this. Yeah, I mean, he had James and and uh, James and Sirius, and they kind of, I mean, they not that they took all the glory, but they took all the glory. Mm-hmm. Kind of exactly. Funny. He was he, and he then was he lost everybody. I mean, he mm-hmm. lost everybody in one fell swoop. Yeah, yeah. I think that. Like, Sirius was the one that lost everybody, and he went to Azkaban, and he was with the Dementors all this time. And I think, although Remus wasn't in Azkaban, I think his depression probably mirrored what the Dementors were doing to Sirius. He he was in his own personal hell. Yeah, exactly, because he lost everybody, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He says, Professor, I still haven't said yes. And she said... That has not escaped my notice. What are your reservations? He says, I've outlined them for Professor Dumbledore. And she says, outline them for me. (laughs) Nonsense. She says, briskly. I can just, that briskly is just such a word that goes right with McGonagall. With McGonagall. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And that's when he says he's not qualified. And then he says, well, the ministry will never approve it. Parents will not want a werewolf teaching their children. Yeah. And he's not wrong. I'm not going to tell them, are you? (laughs) 
That's one way to get away around that, I suppose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's worried legitimately about being dangerous to the children. And mm-hmm. she lists a bunch of things that the children are going to be doing to themselves that she feels <laughs> are more dangerous than he will be, especially under Wolfsbane Potion, because they're going to have Severus brew that. He's qualified to brew a first-rate Wolfsbane Potion. And but Hogwarts can of- stand to pay for the ingredients for that. So, Speaking of the parents being worried, do they not... Think about the fact that somebody's going to figure it out. I don't think they're really worried about it. No, I don't think... I, I mean, he went through Hogwarts all this time, and nobody really figured it out. Even Snape, oh, who eventually got it, was was because he was led there by Sirius. And Hermione eventually figures it out. It's canon, because of Snape. But it's because Snape leads her to it. It's not like mm-hmm. that, that anyone just... You know, I don't think anybody pays... Unless someone, like, had a crush on Remus or was... I mean, the Marauders were living with him. They were noticing he disappeared all the time. But I think, you know, like, if, if, if Sally Ann Perks was absent once a month, I don't know that any of the other kids would, would make that, you know, they're just not paying that close attention. There's too much yeah, else going on at school. They're kids. I suppose. Yeah. And then sometimes, sometimes if you don't make a big deal, if you don't make a big deal that you're gone, no one's, no one will know. It's like when my son, like there's sometimes where I'm like, you know what? Sometimes if you don't make a big deal out of things, it goes under the radar so quickly. Yep. You don't have to worry about it. I'm like, sometimes it's just kind of like, if you back off and not say anything, no one will say mm-hmm. anything. Yeah. Sometimes you're your own worst enemy with, with trying to. Mm-hmm. But I feel like Remus probably had a few different yeah. stories that he could use. So it wasn't always the same thing happening. Well, was mm-hmm. it? Was there something about his mom? Didn't didn't I might be remembering that wrong, or it could be a fix. Something about his, his mom being I think it's unwell. Is a yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you're right. Yeah. So she says, you know, Dumbledore would never have offered you this post if he didn't think that you and Hogwarts were up to the challenge. And <laughs> he did, of course, hire Lockhart last year too, so that's a little harder to well, swallow. <laughs> track record in hiring people but. Well, yeah but partly i think to keep an eye on lockhart i mean imagine you know he's been doing all sorts of things he i think dumbledore wanted to use that as a way to get him out of the to way expose not, him as to, to expose him not quite the way i don't Hermione, know that dumbledore necessarily it, knew yeah, I don't, he, no, just, he just had a really good resume because he made yeah. it all no, up. No, I think he knew. I think he knew. I. But I think he just desperately needed a teacher, and it wasn't. You know, I, 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 I think Dumbledore was smart enough to know that that Lockhart was kind of full of nonsense. But I don't know if he realized that he he, he would, didn't know anything. You know what I mean? I think mm-hmm. it was just filling a slot more than anything. Yeah, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So. He finally says yes. She says, welcome aboard, Professor Lupin, and thank you. And that is our first thank you as we move on to the next chapter. Thank you. I love and how she's all exactly like, this job isn't cursed. Knew exactly what, how it was going to end before she even started speaking with him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Of course oh, she did. You don't say no to Professor McGonagall. You just no. don't. She knows what buttons no to push. And, and you know, that was her last thing. Her but <laughs> are you going to say yes to me, or do I have to drag Professor Dumbledore down here so you can say yes to him instead? And <laughs> it kind of like, you know what? You don't think I'm as important as him? I mean, yeah, I mean, 
She she pulled the whole teacher routine on him. Yep. I mean, she's a seasoned teacher. She knows what she's doing. She knew exactly what she was doing. See, I mean, she got him to come around to where she wanted him to come around. It took her a little while, but she got him. So yeah, she's an excellent. Yeah, yeah. she's an she's an excellent teacher. She knew how to play him well. Mm-hmm. So we skip forward a couple months to the end of the welcoming feast, and uh, he's Remus is going to you know, officially meet his colleagues because he came up on the train instead of coming in earlier. And they decide in here that one of the reasons he did that, apart from being you know, extra security for the train, is to give Dumbledore and McGonagall time to uh, reveal that he's coming and, you know, get the staff to calm down about it. Because several of them will know that he's a werewolf. I'm surprised it took this long for them to tell them. Yeah. Well, I imagine that not all of them lived there all summer. You know, like mm-hmm. the heads of house, but others, like Snape, had his own house. So, so you yeah, know, they okay, might yeah, all good, good point. Yeah. They're probably all coming term. back for the start of term, and then they're just having their you know before term yeah. meeting. Yeah, and it was very, very courteous. I thought of of Remus just to let them talk without him being there, you know, amongst mm-hmm. themselves. I, 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 That's true. It seemed like a very Remus thing to do, so I thought it fit very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he's, you know, they're all trying to be cordial mostly, but he can pretty much tell which ones are uncomfortable with him being there. Well, of course. Yeah. Although Trelawney's the only one who refused to shake his hand. <laughs> yeah, but that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with being a werewolf. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. Most likely she might have thought there was something about his aura and then wasn't she probably yeah, she probably totally she, missed she, that he was a werewolf anyhow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she doesn't uh eat with any of the others on a regular basis either, right? She doesn't right. Eat with any so. of them. in her in her room most of the time. Yeah. So here's where it says he, he met a bubbly, enthusiastic young woman who introduced herself as Charity Burbage, professor of Munkle Studies, and she welcomed him with a wide, genuine smile. Aww. <laughs> All you gotta see is with a big X on it. <laughs> and then, of course, yeah. there was Snape. Snape. Uh, oh. <laughs> Severus Snape. 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 Severus Snape. And he does the, you know, handshake contest because why not? <laughs> yeah, he uses his hand really, really hard. But do you have any any problem whatsoever believing that that's what happened? No. <laughs> no. It's like, ah, ha, ha, I have seniority. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that's very true. Yeah. All I wanted him to have is like, you know, those Joe Can things that have a little buzzer. Go <laughs> <laughs> No, that would be James or Sirius. Probably. I know. I, I just kind of pictured that. I was like, oh, man, why didn't he have one of those little buzzard things? The Weasley twins would have loved that. I also <laughs> would have loved that. Speaking of, uh, Professor McGonagall swoops in to save him from Snape or save the hall from him and Snape duking it out. And uh, on the way to her office, they run into two red-headed uh, third oh, years. I love I believe. to see that. <laughs> mm. I love the inclusion of the twins in this whole story. I think yeah. she wrote them very well. And, and got mm-hmm. a good slight exasperation, but also you can tell she's very fond of them, conveyed very easily throughout the whole thing. I love them. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 
as my mom says, she goes, she goes, I love the mischievous ones. She goes, I didn't want to tell them that, but I love them. Oh, always. And they call her Minerva, of course. Of course. Mm-hmm. She sends them off to Gryffindor Tower. That makes sense, because she was oh, very fond of the Marauders, too. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and they're peas in a pod, these two groups. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. and Remus wants to know who those two gentlemen were. Mrs. Fred and George Weasley. <laughs> oh, hello, will be Mom. experiencing them soon. <laughs> yes, they are experienced. They are that. So Remus says, I didn't, because McGonagall's excuse to come get him was she needed to tell him something about the staff meeting that he missed. I thought your letter was very detailed. Is there anything else I missed? And she, no, I just didn't want you to have a fight with Severus in the Great Hall. He says, we weren't, we weren't going to fight. I have no issues with Severus Snape. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, he's got some issues with you. likelihood that he has one with you, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. He wasn't very happy with you. But honestly, what has ever made Snape very happy? He's never happy about anything. Lily. Me. Every now and then I get a little bit lonely and you're never coming right. Briefly. Yeah, he he does not. He doesn't willingly. <laughs> but like you said, when you're doing his happiness. voice, you have to be flat because he's just very mm-hmm. flat. Flat. He is. Yeah. I love what Remus says. Would I willingly antagonize the man who's going to <laughs> the for the year? That's a great line. Mm-hmm. Right? That's is- a good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. McGonagall says, I'd like to think not, but. <laughs> <laughs> but she remembers him as a marauder, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even in this, you know, Remus gives himself the loophole. He says, I promise I will not start anything. <laughs> Well, Doesn't mean I won't true. finish it. Doesn't mean I'm not going to finish it exactly, or, or at least not uh, back away from it. Yeah. yeah. There's some foreshadowing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he does acknowledge that, you know, being here at school is making him feel more like a teenager than he has in years. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But he's still, you know, he's prepared to be professional. Mm-hmm. No, you gotta think. You run, you run kids like that. So, I mean, it does. It makes you. I mean, their energy is infectious. That's how we got. You got peeves in there, and that mm-hmm. thing because of all that kind of energy. It does. It affects. I mean, mm-hmm. you as a person. I know. Like, there's been times like my mom was teaching after I was after I was done out of school and stuff like that, and she would. She's like, "Well, this is what you're supposed to wear, and this is what." This is what they're listening to. And I'm looking at her like, Mom, I have no idea what this is. <laughs> it's just like, well, you're just not hip. <laughs> like, not we, hip. And, I, and I looked at her, I go, I don't think like they're using grandma. the word hip, Mom. I ha- my son graduated high school over the weekend. And so we went yesterday to a graduation party that, that a friend of his family threw. And they had, you know, a DJ and there was mostly family, but then a lot of kids that came. Mm-hmm. And as the night wore on, the, the kids started requesting their own music of the DJ. And they played this one song that was just basically a string of swear words that started the song. And all of a sudden, and you could see a lot of the grandparents looking like this. And so one woman, and you could just tell she was a teacher. I don't even know who she was, but you could tell she she's like, excuse me, there are a lot of words in that song. And immediately the DJ turned it off, you know, but you could just tell. And then she looked right at the kids and the kids are all like, yeah, there's whatever. And she just quoted like 
the court without the bad words, but just quote, like she knew exactly what the song was and what she was saying, but she still made them turn it off. But I was like, that that's a teacher right there. Mm-hmm. She was very good. <laughs> that's funny. You don't funny. Under- underestimate the tone of a teacher's voice or. No, no. Everyone just man. stopped and looked at her, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, they they have a brief chat bit. about Harry a little bit because yeah. mm-hmm. she she had warned him that Harry was coming and that he looks very much like James, but he was not expecting Lily's eyes, and so he was mm-hmm. a bit shaken when he saw Harry. Does on he the not train. remember? Well, I think well, it's more just that it's just all being told that you're going to see something is is a little different than an actual just like having you drawn right back into your past, staring right at your face. I think probably the the actuality was no matter how much he tried to prepare himself for it was harder Mm -hmm. than. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And baby's eyes change a little bit. So depending on how old Harry actually was the last time he saw him, they may not have been completely her color at that point. It's hard to know. Yeah, and McGonagall says, you know, Harry's more like Lily than James, really, in the way he acts. And uh, Miss says, 13, that's probably good. (laughs) Yeah. We don't want another 13-year-old James Potter. No, you'll you'll get another one soon. (laughs) Absolutely. And so they say goodnight, and he pretty much promises, you know, you have my word, I won't antagonize Professor Snape. And we get our second thank you. And then he immediately antagonizes Professor Snape. <laughs> this, I know this what is my favorite favorite chapter in the whole thing is chapter three. I, I wish I wish <laughs> I wish there was more of it. I, I wanted to see so many more scenes that happened within this this one little chapter here. I was like, uh-huh. oh, I wish this went on so much longer. Yeah, yeah. And- I think this was the one that was convinced me to try recording it because it's. Just so funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she gets four called days. to the carpet right away. Four days. <laughs> yes, four days ago, Remus. Yes, four days ago. You gave me your word. You were going to keep the beat. <laughs> you can see him going. Oh, damn it. <laughs> well, he knew. He was just waiting for her, too. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. She says, you know, did you think I wouldn't find out? And he says, no, I've been waiting for you since I let the third years go half an hour ago. Can you ago. just imagine him? He was probably in he was probably in his room and just think, and he was practicing. He's practicing. She's going to say this. This is what I'm going to say. <laughs> Maybe I should, wait, no, hold on. Maybe I should say it this way. No, that makes me so but, dumb. Maybe you do it this way. <laughs> but you know what? He's completely right. And oh, he is. Done. And, Absolutely. And he completely convinces her that he's completely right when he tells her what happened. Remus, you know? And this did not occur to me as a 13-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, he's he's absolutely right. There was no way that he could have, you know, Neville's biggest fear is Snape. That, that, mm-hmm. That's kind of a big deal. Yeah, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. you can't change, you, honestly, you can't change your fear that, honestly, yeah. that quickly. Right. It's not like he was parading around in front of the class going, say, people, don't you think Professor Snape is really scary? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, yes. Neville... He's not, like, priming them or anything. He wasn't expecting oh. that. Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. But, and then, and Snape, of course, sets the whole thing up because he snide he and... antagonized Neville right before the class. It wasn't even his class. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of course Neville's going to have his booger turn up to be Snape. 
He's mm-hmm. terrified of Snape, and you can't blame him. No. Especially not at this point. You know, give him a couple more years and he'll hand Snape his head. But at this point, he's still terrified of him. He's still blowing up his own cauldrons. So... Mm-hmm. It'd be interesting to see, actually, if there's, you know, if Snape had not been in the staff room and they came in, would Neville still have immediately seen Snape or would it have been something else? I think he would have. He just might have not been the first one out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think Snape would, uh, Neville might have not have been the first one called on to do it. It it might've been in line there, but, but I don't Mm -hmm. know that he would have been able to make Snape comical either. Cause I think he was really Mm -hmm. terrified of Snape. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the what. Scene, no, sorry, says. I was the scene I would absolutely have loved to see when I, when to expand on this. I would. I want to know how Snape found out. Like, how did he hear about <laughs> this? Yeah. I, 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 I would the love that walked you know. out and was talking about it. And, yeah, you know. but, but but did you see like like that. was it one of his Slytherins that came to him and told him, or did he hear other kids or? Did, did, did people like Gryffindors just start walking by, pointing and laughing? I mean, how did he? It could, yeah, I would it love could have been anything. to read how that happened. I, mean, I could totally imagine the kids talking in the common room and then, you know, half of them are facing one way and half of them are facing the other. And the ones facing the door just like stop. And then the, <laughs> the guys are just like, oh, God, as they're doing a little mimicry and something. What they need is wizarding Facebook, and they just need a picture of the, of the Facebook page. Oh, no. Oh, can you just imagine a mass, like, a mass Snapchat thing oh. <laughs> going on or, or something? Or, like, a mass, oh. like, like a group, a group text of everything. Snape thought he had it bad as it was. Just imagine oh, if they had photos. Oh, dear. But, and wizarding you know, photos move even. Oh yeah. <laughs> you see him doing the the, the, strut, the walk. Adjusting his dress. Fixing <laughs> <laughs> his brassiere. <laughs> oh, <bless me. laughs> that thanks to movie number one. Or three, I guess it would have been, yeah. yeah. Oh dear. God, just the girls. But I don't think even the movie, because I remember chuckling at that in the, you know, I read the book long before the movie was out, and I remember chuckling at it, so just the idea, because they described it, so with the hat with the vulture on it, carrying the red handbag. Giant just, red handbag. Yeah. <laughs> oh, speaking of funny hats, so the royal wedding, one of the pictures, I swear, not of the wedding guests, but like the public, I swear one of them was like a swan or a flamingo or something. <laughs> and I can't find it, and it was awesome. <laughs> oh, dear hat. Hello. Hello, hat. Yeah, he's right over there next to me watching. <laughs> Actually, he has his back to me. Hmm. Mm. He must be mad. Maybe he's writing fan fiction. He probably he might be. is. Probably. We'll or be song. his fan fiction soon, I'm sure. Well, we gotta, we got to find an author named Hat. <laughs> <laughs> No matter how bad it is, we gotta find him an author named Hat, and we can do his fan fiction, and, and then Hat can say that it was him. Yeah, there you go. I wouldn't be surprised if somebody has like the Sorting Hat as a, mm-hmm. a screen name. Probably. Hmm. Oh, probably. I'll have to go look later. <laughs> but uh, okay. I gotta go. She wants to know if Snape, no, if Remus would have, 
you know, warn Snape? Did you warn him? Did you let him know what was going to happen? Uh, you know, How could I understand he have? that this is How? circumstances under your out of your control. And he was like, no, I did not. Could you have? Well, probably I could have, but he was not very nice to Neville right before the class started, and I'm not feeling really charitable to him right now, so <laughs> I decided not to. From the almost... <laughs> he stands up for Neville, even to Professor Mon- McGonagall in this. I love this one line. It's from the almost imperceptible narrowing of her eyes and tilt of her head. Professor McGonagall had not heard that part of the story. Remus wasn't terribly surprised. He was more than happy to fill her in. Can you just not picture McGonagall's face doing that exactly? Like I could no trouble whatsoever imagining that look on her face right in that, that scene. Oh, yeah. Had Professor Snape not ridiculed Neville in front of his entire class, I might have found the chance to tell him what transpired with Neville's Bogart. Had he not tried to discredit his student to his new professor before that student even had a chance to leave his own impression, I might have tried to alert him. But seeing for myself exactly what makes Professor Snape Neville Longbottom's greatest fear, I confess that extending him the courtesy of a heads-up slipped my mind. <laughs> you go, Remus. You go. Yep. Stop calling him Professor Snape. It's weirding me out. <laughs> He's being uh-huh. very professional. I know he is, and it's weirding me out. Why? <laughs> okay. I don't know. Do you want him to call him Snivellus? <laughs> no. Snape <laughs> is from Harry's point of view, and Harry just always says Snape. He rarely ever actually uses the title. Mm-hmm. But Remus would, because Remus is that kind of guy. And Remus is not going to call him Severus. He's just no. not going to. They're not. Yeah. yeah, so he's. No, they're not. No. He calls him Severus if he's in the same room, but not when he's talking about. But, but I always got. I always took a mocking tone when he said it to his face, though, more than a friendly tone. Just saying Snape would be disrospectful, so I think that's why mm-hmm. he's, he's keeping a distance, but he's still being professional. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's putting that wall up between the two of them, and he's saying, yeah. he's coming yeah, from so many ways, he's walls reminding, you know what, he is an authority, too. He's an authority, too, and I'm showing respect that, but he's an authority, too, and he shouldn't have done that. Yeah, and Professor McGonagall says, you know, this has the ring of Remus Lupin justice to it. And Remus, Remus Lupin justice. I love that line. What do you mean by that? <laughs> and she tells him that she always knew when James had crossed a line, according to Remus, because his transfiguration homework got worse. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, Remus she's wasn't like, proofreading anymore. Yeah. And he goes, well, he was a good student. She goes, grammar. <laughs> Yeah, transfiguration, uh, no, spelling and grammar. Yeah, I can, yeah. yeah. Yes, James always did have a tendency toward linguistic creativity. <laughs> he once spelled giant with a J. Oh, boy. That's a man after my own heart. And then Remus reminds himself of Sirius and has to stop because he can't quite bring himself to say it. No. But then McGonagall, Professor, I should say it, Professor McGonagall says... So Neville Longbottom successfully performed the ridiculous charm on his first attempt. And Remus said, yes, you know, and he was the first one to do it. And Remus nods again. And, and he says, he's also the last. And it was his confidence that, you know, got rid of the. the I never appreciated that until now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was a big Neville moment. It was a Mm -hmm. huge Neville moment. And it was kind of foreshadowing what was to come for Neville. Oh, totally. Yeah, Neville will come and 
Uh-oh, we lost Trisha. Uh-oh. I'm right. here. There you oh, go. okay. Neville will come in. To his own. Yes, he will. Yeah. And then Remus tells her exactly what it is that Snape said. And he says, all right, you know, I'll be the bigger man. I'll go talk to him. And she says, no, I will talk to him. <laughs> now, that's another scene I'd like to see very much. <laughs> I do. Oh, that would, I would bet be- you it happening. I mean, Snape was always, always favoring of his Slytherin students. And McGonagall didn't do that herself. But but she had to be aware of it. So I would love to have mm-hmm. seen a scene where, because there was a few things there, like, I don't want to hear about the Quidditch Cup being in his office again. Or th- so you know that these two went at it a lot. I, I would love a oh, scene yeah. like that. Oh, you know, another scene I would really love? What? And I know this would be an alternate universe, but if Harry's Bogart hadn't been a Dementor and had been something like, Uncle Vernon or Aunt Petunia, somebody finally putting the pieces together years in advance would have been really interesting, I think. Mm-hmm. Because I've read I mean, I've, stories I've thought... where it's been Uncle Vernon, but I love the idea of it being Aunt Petunia. I think that I've never seen that one done. That would be fascinating. Yeah. Because I think, I think the Dementor is a bit of a cop-out to me. It's, it's too simple. You know, he just figured out what it was and... You know, it just seems so. I mean, I get, I get what it did. Because the plot needs it to be. Because the plot says so. Right, and it 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 was too convenient a little bit, I think. But but I think also for Harry, it it was you know he confronts things head on, and and the Dementor scared him a lot. I think he didn't know what it was. No, I'm not not saying he knew he was hearing something terrifying, but didn't know why or why he's the only one passing out. Or what? Yeah. So I, I think it's more mm-hmm. Harry's fear of the unknown that that mentor. At this was point, he's resigned to the Dursleys. He's not really afraid of them. He just deals yeah. with them. But I agree, it would be an interesting no, fic or, to see. But. Or Ginny's, it's you know, experience with the Bogart. I mean, could you imagine? Because she probably went through about a traumatic Dementor experience as Harry did. Yeah, yeah. Well, so she was just as- in the. She was in the cart with in the you know the movie yeah. didn't show that but in the book she was in there too and he said mm-hmm. she looked almost as bad as he felt or something so I'm sure she was back in the chamber when that oh, she came knew. in the room you know what it was yeah but but the opportunity angle I haven't seen I think I think that would make a really interesting fic that's a, yeah and, it's a different angle and yeah. you know that something that I, now that I'm thinking about this you know everybody's bogart so the Dementors the Dementor bogart works on Harry. Mm-hmm. And it just seems kind of weird that, like, the full moon doesn't. I mean, I get that it's, like, legitimately not a full moon. But, like, it. I was, as we're talking about this, I was like, God, what would have happened if Remus had transformed, like, in the middle of? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I think it had to actually be a full moon. I think that's what no, it No, I, I know it legit wasn't, but, like, the, 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 the Dementor works and the full moon isn't a full moon. I'm kind of, you know. Yeah. If that was the case, it would have happened sometime when he was at school. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I think that also because he was prepared for the full moon, he knew mm. what it was going to be. That's yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he very, he, they said he, a lazy flick of his wand. I bet you the first mm. time that, that that happened to him, it was more frightening. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. It could be also, you know how the, they say, like, the, I mean, there's times where people, where you, I know, like, um, like sometimes, sometimes you, you could think your body into something, 
and he might think is actually a dementor sucking his soul and his brain goes back into where he can hear it and where it's really not sucking his soul at all. It's just his body's just doing it like his brain. Yeah. It's like a, it's like, it's like sometimes like your body sometimes thinks you're pregnant and you're actually not like you really thought that you were, you were, and you started the gain weight, but you're, but you're not. It's like, you can like stand in front of a picture of a, uh, of a fireplace and warm up. Yeah. Even though it's not actually, yeah. Yeah. I read a a, a thick once. It was actually really interesting, but I, I can't remember completely how it worked, but it was Remus Lupin. He got a hold of the bug arts before he brought it to class. Okay. And he, he practiced himself because he wanted to see what his own bug art was going to turn into because it had been a while. Mm. And the first ones, he was afraid it was going to be, you know, he had to make sure it was going to be something appropriate for a third year class to see. Uh, and the first time, the first time it did, it was James and Lily's body. And he's, no, we can't have that. So he was bargaining with this bug art and the, the fact oh, that he was wow. able to do it, it was, it was an old bug art and it wanted, he goes, I can get you into a classroom where you can feed on all these different, and he'd go till they finally basically came up with something he was afraid of that could be, cause then it was serious with his deranged. They, it, it was, it was a really interesting take on the, um, that's interesting. On the that's story. A, yeah. It was a one shot, but it was, it was cool. I would have loved to see everybody else's bug arts. Well, we see some. I mean, like the the ones you don't see, like the I don't know, like Drake some of the Slytherins. I mean, some of them must be like terrified of the idea of like Death Eaters or you know, the mm-hmm. Dark Mark. Or, you know, or I don't Voldemort know. Or At this I've point, seen though, one somewhere where remember... it's the same the same kind of idea as having it be Petunia, where what happens if Draco comes in and his father steps out of the wardrobe, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, I don't think he's afraid of his father, though. No, but it, it depends on which version of Draco you're looking at. Cause... Yeah, but I don't know. Mm. I, I think that um, a lot of the, like, you got to remember, this is third year. Like, Voldemort's not back yet, so, like, Dumbledore, he's got his ear to the ground, and he's watching for it. But I think probably a lot of these kids who don't so, remember it at all, so it's that's not going to be one of their big yeah. fears yet. Yeah, like she failed every single class or something like that. It's going to be it was, it was like, more than that. It was McGonagall telling her. I, I think your fear was more of be disappointing McGonagall than than right than anything. Mm. Mm-hmm. It could be. It could, I mean, it could be like different things like that, or is it, it's just like, oh, all of a sudden, it's you wearing a dunce cap, or, or I mean, just kind of <laughs> different things. Mm-hmm. Like my belief, my uh, well, with I mean, with lab lab, would do things like being scared of heights or something. Like what? What would it? Yeah, turn how, into? Would you, how would you? How would you? Would you like all of a sudden imagine yourself on a like would the bug art make itself a ledge with you standing on it? How, how would you? Yeah, that I would be really interesting. Because hmm. I mean, not everybody's fears can be physical, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like drowning. How would you? How Does would it make itself would... into a bathtub? I don't know. Or some water. On, uh, making yeah. you feel like you're underwater, I guess. Yeah, yeah it's weird. Yeah, we've now we've gone out into the to the <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, bringing us back in. Yes. At the the end of the chapter is, um, you know, Remus thanks her for going to talk to Severus for mm-hmm. and acknowledging that he did nothing wrong. And she suggests that she might allow him to call her Minerva. 
He says thank you, but doesn't actually do anything with that no. yet. Again, Professor, I thank you. He he makes the point of calling her Professor rather than Minerva. Minerva. Mm-hmm. And then I'll we read chapter <laughs> oh, four, <laughs> in which um, the Weasley twins are trying to liven up Minerva's day. Yes. <laughs> well, what you don't know, although you could probably guess at this point, is that she's inside her office writing a letter to Molly, and the twins are trying to distract her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're so well, busy. How many howlers do you think Mom sent to Fred and George while they were in school? Oh, a lot. And it must oh, have been at, uh, at least a weekly basis. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's I'll actually... toilet, Mom! <laughs> <laughs> There's another, I think, I think it's another of Relmer's stories. There's, there's another um, fic that I've read recently from one of the things we were... Yeah, it is. She's written a, a fic called From the Desk of Minerva McGonagall, mm-hmm. and it's a Ooh. selection of the letters Minerva wrote to Molly. Oh, my. <laughs> Oh, that would be awesome. interesting. She, she starts out with the, you know, this is my quarterly thing that I always send to everybody, <laughs> and Ron is setting settling in quite nicely, and so on and so forth. Or I guess no, it it starts with uh, Fred and George's first year, and it's like, you know, uh, just letting you know, I'll be sending you these letters every now and then, and then it just keeps devolving into <laughs> amazing, like twenty seven <laughs> letters in the first quarter. <laughs> This is the most I've ever written to anybody. <laughs> it's probably like a volume. Yeah. And it, it, start, it starts with, you know, as always, hesitate to contact me with any questions or concerns you might have. Minerva McGonagall. And as you scroll through the story, eventually it, it turns into just like Minerva. <laughs> Molly. <laughs> I'm writing again. Each other. <laughs> yeah. Here's Molly. Guess what they did this time? <laughs> yeah. And Just enough I, mean, I can see Minerva and Molly having drinks together to discuss oh what my. the twins have done. Yeah, once that when they left, they probably just had a yeah, they probably had a nice little scotch going on. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But I love like at the start of this one where the boys think they're going to put one over on Remus, and he's just very pleasant and very calm. But he, he's they're not getting away with nothing with Remus. Oh, <laughs> he just sneaks up, just walks up behind them while they're busy with their conjuring, and George notices first, and he's like, "Fred, Fred." <clears throat> <laughs> they have to, oh, hello, Professor. Here we're just uh, helping out Professor McGonagall with uh, some guard canaries. <laughs> guard canaries. She's very busy and doesn't want to be disrupted, so we thought we'd guard her door for her. What a thoughtful so gift, please. Please write a one-shot where, the, where Remus tells him he's a marauder. Oh, I would love to see. Written. I think there are there's a million stories out there with them finding out. But uh, but I really would love a little more detail in it. I think uh, mm-hmm. I've always I think I've read the one where they they kind of do like a way, whole Wayne's world and like they figure out it's them like, <laughs> like we're not worthy. We're <laughs> and Remus is like Alice Cooper going. I know you can kiss my hand now. <laughs> Aww. Mm-hmm. Card canaries. I just love it. Is that where Hermione got the idea? Oh, <laughs> is sure that- it is. Well, it's probably because 
No, because they would have been 50th. So they're doing magic a year ahead of them because that's mm-hmm. they were doing the canaries in sixth year, right? That's yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so they're they're doing magic ahead of their time, which really doesn't surprise me at all, anyway. No, yeah, yeah. And and Reba says that to McGonagall in a few minutes when he gets into her. But he sends them on their way, and as they <laughs> get ready to go, he's like, uh-huh, "Boys, the birds," and they're like, "Oh, oh yeah, Oops, sorry, <laughs> Professor." And then he taps on the door and says, you know, the boys have told me that you don't want to be disturbed. Do you want me to come back? <laughs> but but like, before no, that no, happens, okay. before that happens, George even called. He's like, so is there any chance you're buying any of this? You know, they just kind of casually ask Remus and Remus is just looking, not even a little bit. I just thought it was just a perfect scene between the two of them. It's pretty good. Yeah. Perfectly fair. We'll just go then, shall we, Professor? <laughs> I always I like the little notes of, you know, it mentions at a couple places through here where if, you know, if he hadn't seen this every day for seven years, they might have gotten away with something. But yeah. know, he's familiar <laughs> with these tricks. Yeah, he's kind of familiar with these. And, yes, he, he goes in and so do I want to know what exactly they were doing? It's pretty no, advanced magic, not. actually. <laughs> yes, it always seems to be. <laughs> Give me 20 minutes. I'm sure there's four more things. I'm going to have to write their mother about it. <laughs> you can disturb me for a second. Mm-hmm. And he explains that after the Quidditch match that Harry wants to have defense lessons against the Dementors. And she's like, do you really think he's ready for this? And... He says, oh. yeah. He deserves the chance to try, and even if he can only get a little bit of mist or something, and hopefully he won't actually need it. I've always got to the point where, where some, when a child can ask you a question of that kind of thing, of, of that kind of help, I think they're ready. Mm-hmm. When they can admit that they need help or something. So that, that, that's just my little philosophy. And like, if they can admit that they need help for something to do something like this, and it's beyond their, well, not just beyond the years, but it's beyond the, a little bit more of their maturity factor coming out. Yeah. I think they're, they're usually pretty much ready. Yeah. I would agree with that. And, and especially yeah. if they're mature enough or whatever to, to even verbalize the fact that they need help, even if they don't quite know what it is, mm-hmm. then that's, that's the first, it's always the first step, you know, to lots of yeah. things you can admit that there's a problem. But I think as, as, as the, as the teacher and head of house, she, she's right to question it a little bit too. I mean, oh, she did yeah. the same thing no. when Neville wanted to take transfiguration, I think after they had their owls and she's, you know, she, this is more than you can take charms. I think is what she told them. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, yeah. I think that, that she was right to, you know. And then she says the best thing Neville could have ever heard in his life. <laughs> yeah, she told them about the grandmother failing charms, well, I think, didn't she? Well, that, Something like dude, that. No, and, yeah. and then she says it's high time that your grandmother, what was it? Um, appreciated the, the grandson gr- she's yeah, got. Yeah. The one that she wants or something that I totally butchered yeah. that. Yeah. Minnie's good people. She is. So she she asked Remus, and I, I like this too, because she asked Remus, are you going to be okay with it? We don't yeah. know what exactly he's going to see or hear during this. Are you going to be able to handle it? And Remus says, well, he's already told me he hears his mother being murdered. Oh. And she's like, yeah, I'm going to now- ask you this question again. Are you sure you can handle it too? 
because that that's where we should have seen the scotch in the bottom drawer of McGonagall's desk right there. Yeah, yeah. Yes. and that comes out. Are you sure? Boom. <laughs> Here, have a drink. Oh, yeah. And he, I love what he says here, and we sort of touched on this earlier, but, you know, when I heard what happened, when I was told that Lily and James, that they were dead, and Peter and Sirius and Harry off to his aunt and uncle's, I started running. I started running because I couldn't imagine staying still, and I've kept running until here. This is the first time in years that I've not been running. And, you know, it's a healing point for him as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's not hard to, to picture this as a mid- missing moment because it fits so well. No. Yeah. I, you know, he's letting himself heal think about them. He's letting the memories come, even though they were painful and he ran from them before. He's ready to th- accept them. And, you know, just like what we were talking about, if you're old enough to ask for help or mature enough to ask for help, he has matured enough, has lived enough to be able to face this really painful time that was in his life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, being back at Hogwarts has is, is actually been healing to him. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, a talk about something like that today. Um, we were talking about after the battle that how hard it must have been for the students that were there, you know, to go back to school that. And I, I was like, sure? but I, I tend to think that being back there, because they, except for the, the little ones who were there for the first time, Hogwarts has so many good memories. I think it might be, you don't want to let the bad take over everything. Right. Like let the the mm-hmm. good, I tend to think Hogwarts can be very healing too. So, uh, yeah. I mean, it's like anything. If you let, if you look at, there's bad things that help. Okay. I'm going to quote one of my favorite people in the world, Mr. Rogers. Okay. <laughs> Cause he is Mr. Pittsburgh. And he goes like, when there's, when bad things ha- happen, Look for the helpers. Look for the good people. Yeah, and yeah, that's I tell my that's, kids that. Yeah, and that's what I mean. That's that's what it is. That it's it look, taking out of the bad situations and looking for looking for the positives. And it's like anything in life. It's like anything in life. Get on the news that, but mm-hmm. there's more good people that that react mm-hmm. in situations mm-hmm. like that that, that are yeah. just there. Exactly, and it's this, this, this. Like, I mean, it's one. It's your choice. You can focus on the bad, or you can focus on the good, and and it depends on each situation. I mean, or each each place. It's what you want to do. Your choice, man. I like your choice. So, but I digress. <laughs> Us digress never. <laughs> no, never. never. <laughs> No, Mr. Rogers is a great person to quote for this. Yeah. Isn't there going to be like a documentary or something about him or a movie or... I think that is... I don't... I do not know. I kind of hope so because I want to see... So. Every, yeah, because uh, Michael Keaton's supposed to be on it. That's what I've heard. Because he, he that's where he got his um, first start was on Mr. Rogers. Really? Hmm. Yeah. Mr. Uh, uh, Michael Keaton's from Pittsburgh also, or close to the suburb, suburbs of Pittsburgh. And so, yeah, I, he, that's how, where he got his, he was, he was, um, he was part of the, um, the Zucchini brothers on Mr. On Mr. Rogers. I don't remember any Zucchinis on Mr. Rogers. Well, they weren't Zucchinis, but they, they were people and they were acrobats and they just went, ho. Oh. Oh, oh, it was, it was quite humorous. Out, it's no, really sorry. kind of funny because it's like, <laughs> yeah, you keep here. Oh, 
<laughs> Apparently, it's called Won't You Be My Neighbor, and it's being released on June 8th. Well, oh, day oh, that's oh, that's soon. A couple days away. This week, yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's the end of this week. Yeah. No. But that when we're recording this, not when it will be released. <laughs> right. right. So right. it's being released six months ago. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it happens to be. Yeah. I want to go back to this the fic though because we're about to come up with my favorite line in the entire okay. story, I think. Okay. Is okay. M- McGonagall goes to get a sheaf of parchment and her wand um lets out a puff of smoke. Oh. And she realizes the twins had switched her rond, and she's like, oh. those two, they were without a doubt the most troublesome, aggravating pair of students I've ever had the misfortune to teach. And and Remus is like, right there and really? <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to rephrase that? This is And she's like, no, but they would have given you a lot of run for your money, Professor Remus said with a bit of a laugh standing as well. I hate to be the one to break this to you, but if the Weasley twins had shared school with the Marauders, I don't think we'd have been in a competition with one another. No, definitely not. <laughs> oh. I just, the picture on oh. McGonagall's face, because I don't think a truer statement was ever made than that oh. right there. Her thoughts that will now haunt my nightmare. <laughs> but, the, but the switching wands, didn't the twins do that to Molly? Yeah, they in... did it to Molly, exactly. Yeah. And I think, and I think, oh, those two, I think that was Molly's exact quote. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that McGonagall can tell. There's the, there's a different feel to it or something. Because mm-hmm. as soon as oh, she picks I'm it sure. up, there's something wrong with this. And she puts it away from Remus because she doesn't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, no that's just funny. I just thought of the Weasley twins and the Marauders together. Like, <laughs> like, white. Yeah, like in the cartoon. Yeah, it, at least it turned like, into a bouquet of flowers and not a rubber chicken. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Rubber, rubber, rubber chicken. There's a. Do I admit this? Yes. There's a podcast out. It's called Potteronica. Oh, God. Oh, my God. And it's X-rated fan fictions that they read out loud. Oh, oh my God. God. You should hear the guy's pansy voice. He's absolutely hilarious. And Didn't we do that on Potter Fic Weekly once, though? Didn't Yes, for Somebody made me read. Somebody made me read something. I know they did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, yeah, actually. Um, we still have the clip somewhere. <laughs> yeah. No, don't Insert do that here. We don't, we don't ever, uh, yeah. We always have these things. Are we uh, going to have another one? Another what? A Smutsgiving Part 3. Smutsgiving. There was a Part 2. several times, but none of us read Smut anymore. Is for people that I... That, we hey, with, don't seem to I have a freaking so. tattoo because of a smut, <laughs> a Harry Potter smut. When did we have a part two? <laughs> yeah. There's smuts giving two. Really? Yeah. What? It is. It's in, you got to go in the restricted section. It's in there. She <laughs> falls off halfway through because she's so inebriated she can't talk anymore. And... I do not remember this. And they, I think that's the one where they talk about Natasha because he didn't know about it either. And I said, yeah, they talk about you all over the place, but they call you a woman. And he's like, what? Where is that? You never know what you'll find in the Potter Pickwick back catalog. So anyhow, the reason I brought this up is 
have a traveling rubber chicken that they call parts of a anatomy. And so talking about the rubber chicken made me think of pot erotica. So anyhow, oh, if you listen to uh, wow. people read it. But what's fun about it, and, and I, you know, I shouldn't admit to reading it or listening to it, but it's really funny because they crack themselves up trying to read it because they've never read it ahead of the time of them recording uh, it. Oh, that's even funny. no idea what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so well, come on. I mean, once you've read one smart story, you pretty much know how they're all going to go. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes they're expecting stuff and it's like, what happened in this chapter? What I, you know, we were expecting it. They're also very musical and they they take mostly Disney tunes. Oh, jeez. Oh, God. <laughs> and, and sing erotica songs to them. Oh dear! Oh, if, if you get a chance, they're kind of fun to listen to. I shouldn't admit to it, but I kind of enjoy it. Can you can you send a link? Because I'm not gonna. Yeah, I was just gonna ask. Send a link I, or put uh, it in the put it on the uh, forum. Go <laughs> put it on the forum. I could do that in the restricted section. <laughs> so, but yeah, it, there it's kind of fun. It's just Potter erotica. You can find it on any of your pod catching uh, things. Anyhow. So, anyhow. <laughs> That he Remus is getting ready to go, and Minerva says, "I thought you agreed. I thought we agreed you were going to call me Minerva." And he says, "You agreed." <laughs> I never said anything. Oh, he's getting her back from chapter one. <laughs> and uh, she thinks, you know, all of them were calling her Minerva all the time when they were students. He says, "No, that was not me. That was me." <laughs> yeah, but. She- she also says if he ever wants to talk, that, that she'd be there to, to listen. But Remus is not quite ready for that yet. Yeah. yeah. And again, we get a thank you. And we're into the next chapter, which is the time he is ready for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sirius really... Black has showed up at Hogwarts. Yeah. This was, I think it was at Halloween, right? When, when he broke in and, and ripped up the portrait of the fat lady. Sirius mm-hmm. did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's, so... you know, he's trying to figure out... He, he's torn because he wants to be there for Dumbledore and, and let him know, but there, he, he's not ready to confess that they're animagus. And he he just can't bring himself to tell him about this. So he's playing that game with, you know, the game. That yeah, he he's trying to, to well, justify all the other ways that Sirius could have gotten in, that it's not yeah. necessarily that, that it has anything to do with his dog. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People would have noticed a big black dog around. I would have heard something about that. Mm-hmm. How did they not? Uh, he was just very stealthy, and I think he was only and out I at night. And I think Crookshanks was helping him a lot, too. Yeah. Crookshanks That's did a lot true. of the, the dirty work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was hanging, hiding out in the and he was probably only coming out in the dark, and he'd be hard to see in the dark. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. even Crookshanks was the one that stole the list of passwords from Neville. I mean, Neville left it right where he was supposed to leave it, on his bedside table, but Crookshanks mm-hmm. stole it. Yeah, that sneaky cat. Yeah. Um, so he's. they've been searching the castle, and it's really late. He's exhausted, but now he's ready to talk. And he goes and he knocks on Minerva's door. And she's exhausted too, but once... She figures out what he's there for. She invites him in. Mm-hmm. He actually goes to her office and waits for her to get back because she was searching longer than he was. Mm-hmm. And then, and then and his he, first question is a doozy. Yeah. Yeah. Why didn't he kill Ron? 
if he's supposed to be this madman who doesn't care who gets in his way and just blows up muggles left and right, why would he care? Why would he not kill Ron? Well, that could have awakened the other boys. So kill five people. What does it matter? They're they're 13-year-old kids and they're sleeping. Mm -hmm. Well, he didn't have a wand. He only had a knife. He's like, I've been in a boy's bedroom. Those wands were... Yeah. He could have gotten every single one of those ones before the boys even got up. And it's true. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're they're kids. They're just, you know Yeah. Found asleep kids. Why didn't he kill Ron? This is it's gonna be really hard for him to get back in. So this is actually the second time that he broke in because this is when he's actually made it into the bedroom. Mm. And they think Oh right, right, right. Mistakenly Attacked Ron, Ron instead of Harry, yeah, and not realizing that there he was after Ron because he was after Ron's rat mm-hmm. at the time. Um, nobody, nobody knows that then, but you know, and he's just like, I don't get it. I, I knew this kid. I stayed up with him. I listened to him talk about his family and how terrible his family was and how he would never do those things, and yet he's become. When? When did this happen? How did we miss it? What part of Sirius did we overlook that made this happen? And he's just torn up inside because he cannot reconcile the person he knows with the act that has been done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Especially now that he's been in the room with the boys and he had every opportunity to hurt somebody and he didn't do it. And he didn't. Yeah. So he's questioning everything that he's believed. And... Mm -hmm. McGonagall doesn't really have anything she can say to that, but she's there to listen to him. And she asks him, you know, what is it you're really wanting to say? And it's just that he wants there to be a reason. He wants to figure it out. He wants to talk to Sirius and have him put it to rest in his own mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He says, Sirius Black betrayed James Potter? Not in a million years. If I was sure of anything, I was sure of that. We knew there was a spy. We knew there was a mole. But I never even entertained the thought it might be serious because it would never happen. He was agitated. He was frantic. He was desperate to make her understand. You know, he knows this deep in his soul. Yeah, it shook shook him to his core. Yes. And it made him question anything logical that he ever had. He was like, this is how it was. This is what it was. And now this is how it... well, he thinks he's like, well, he killed them all, and he's like, mm-hmm. this made it makes him question his whole life, pretty much, yeah. because maybe my judgment is that off. Yeah. When did we lose him? Can, can mm-hmm. you pinpoint it? Yeah, because I can't. I can't pinpoint when Sirius went this far off the rails. Doesn't yeah, because he can remember him talking about how Sirius came from a dark family, and he ran away from that, and he was terrified of turning into them. So, so you know. They all rallied around him. It's not going to happen that, that, that he's made his choices. And so, so where where did it go wrong? Where did he, he really turn against us instead of them? And he couldn't he couldn't pinpoint a time when it would have happened. No, I miss them, he whispered, his voice anguished and raw. I miss oh. them every day, James and Lily and Peter and the Harry, who is my nephew and not just my student. And Sirius, I miss Sirius. I do. I miss them all. All the friends who made themselves my family. Mm-hmm. You know, he just, yeah. It's, yeah, it's just heart-wrenching. Mm-hmm. It's really well-written, and it, mm-hmm. it, it makes really sense for reasons. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so much. I was going to say absolutely again, but I've used that word way too much tonight. 
That happens. We have words we like to use. It's the word of the day. And McGonagall comes over and puts her hand on his shoulder and just tells him she's sorry. Mm -hmm. It comes about 12 years too late, but, but she's sorry. Yeah. She, she loved them too. I really think she, she was. Oh, absolutely. See, there we go. Absolutely. again. Yeah. As much Mm -hmm. as she has a soft spot for Fred and George now, she had the same soft spot for them when they were her students. Oh, totally. You're not supposed to have favorites, but you just sometimes do. Yep. Oh, yeah, you absolutely do. You absolutely do. And they're favorites in different aspects, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. I mean, like, I mean, I only have one child. If I had another child, like, I know my mother loves my brother differently than she loves me. I'm a favorite child, though, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> as long as every kid believes that they're your favorite, then you're doing okay. Oh, yeah. There's a, there's a great children's book. It's called I Love You, the Purplest. And it's about <laughs> these two boys. And the one boy is boisterous and bright and happy and go-getting. And the other boy is more serious and quiet and calm. And she tells the one boy that she loves him the bluest. And she tells the other boy that he she loves him the reddest. And then the title of the story is I Love You, the Purplest, because that's how they're combined. Aww. And so it just shows how she loves them both in different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's a really sweet story. That's cute. So, and Remus, in a broken whisper, pretty much says thank you once again. And we move to the last chapter where he doesn't have to say thank you. And yeah. we know how is... things yeah. end with Remus here. This is the day he's pack, leaving. Packing up his office. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's woke up in the in the woods. After the transformation, he does everything he can to get to, you know, and my brain was, did he have clothes on while he's running to get to Dumbledore? Did he stop there was a towel. find something to put on? But, I, I think you know, he had clothes on. Yeah, I think that they're a bit ripped, but they're covering what they need to cover. Yeah, that's true. It's kind of the Hulk thing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. That's how, see, that's the true way you know a werewolf. They're wearing pants. With their <laughs> <laughs> oh boy so he goes and, and you know he has to know did i hurt anybody last night nope because if he had he would never forgive himself yeah i don't think and he'd be able to is, live with that he's not gonna forgive himself right now but that's his that's that's his boger that's his worst fear of turning somebody yeah. else into a monster like himself um very true and she's at the office door, and he says, I think, you know, I might have to disagree with you about the job being cursed, because in the first chapter, he asked if it was cursed, and she told him no. Hmm. And she says, they haven't they, weather this. how do they not think it is cursed when they've had a defense professor well, change every year since? She doesn't yeah. really believe it. I think she sees that more as, as superstition, and she's going to poo-poo that kind of the same way she does divination. Mm-hmm. I suppose. Yeah. To her, it is not logical. Yeah. yeah. We can weather this. And he's like, don't you dare. I can't. I've resigned because I've put students in danger. I acted in a manner unbefitting a Hogwarts professor last night. And and the one thing that we've learned through this story and through canon was that he really is a really good teacher. And because he's the kind of teacher that he is, he would always put his students first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is his way of putting his students first. If he feels like he's a danger to them, he is so going to get out of there. 
because he can't, he can't live with himself that way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's part of the reason why he is the amazing teacher that he is because he truly cares for these kids. Yeah, he did. He actually did a really good job. That's the one year that they all really learned something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And she says, you're the one of the best professors that we've ever had walk these walls. And he's like, you've given me more praise this year than the entire time I was a student. And it's starting to get a little weird. <laughs> he goes, my head is not going to fit out that doorway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. She was going to go. Go ahead. Well, he says he's probably going to try the muggle worlds because they don't mind if you take a day a month off as long as you're there the rest of the time. Mm-hmm. And he'll be available if Professor Dumbledore needs him again. Chefs, chefs, be going to chefs. <laughs> and he he's thinking, you know. He's got some ideas on questions she could be asking. Yeah. He doesn't. Aren't you glad Sirius's innocence has been proven? Will you keep in contact with Harry? How could you not have told your transfiguration professor about the anime? (laughs) (laughs) The three of them did it in three years Mm -hmm. without help. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He says it doesn't hurt less that it was Peter and not Sirius. It doesn't hurt any less. But at least I can see how it happened. I can look it back and see where it started. So a wondering is lessened, but the guilt Mm -hmm. is stronger. And she's confused. The guilt? Yeah. And he says, it's our fault. We protected him too much. And he was vulnerable when he got out and the Death Eaters got to him. And she says, your gift for empathy is enviable. And, you know, she wants to know if there's anything he, she can do for him. And he says, he look says, after Harry. Yeah. Because and I think she's always done that anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, in ways that certain other people have not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he he calls her Minerva for the first time. And he turns to say thank you and realizes he doesn't need to. And she tells him that it's been a privilege, Remus. And no higher praise is needed than for Minerva to say that it's much to work with you. Yeah, I like the friendship between these two very much. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see it. I mean, it's... It fits, this This whole story really fits flawlessly with the story that we know. Yeah, it, mm-hmm. it does. It, it, it's just interwoven very, very well. I would have liked to have seen Minerva. I, I, I don't, I think, again, she would have called Snape to the carpet for, for letting that slip, that he was a werewolf. I, I would have liked to have seen that, that seen the conversation between um, Minerva and Severus uh, about that. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Because she's yeah. no shrinking, shrinking violet. She'd go and, no, and want to have a discussion with it, yeah. Well, Melinda, please. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I don't, like, once I, that's something I want to see. I have more trouble getting, you, you know, I read that. That's not something I want to write. I want to read it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I, so the, the reason we got to this story was Melinda asked group books that we're both a part of, for a thick recommendation, and somebody recommended this. Mm. Yeah, I wanted to see some of canon from an adult's point of view, like, like and, and this this just fit perfectly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and through that, I got a hold of it, and I really liked it, so that's why I wanted to start our season yeah. with it. Because yeah, I it thought was a really it nice was one to start with. Just, yeah, it it's a, all around, it's a good story. It's short enough to do in one go, so it's a nice, slow way to start us off. 
Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, we all liked it. I liked it enough to record it. <laughs> I liked it enough to put it on the podcast. Melinda liked it enough to recommend it to, you know. So it, it's just, it's really well done. And I, I'm really glad that I was able to find it through Melinda and and be able to share this with people because I think it's one that really needs to get out there. Yeah, I want to go now and the one Scott just said about the letters to Molly. I, I think that, that that's going to be coming up next on my reading list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Elmer's written a lot of interesting one-shots and two or three chapter things in the list. There's there's quite a few neat ones. As There's mo- mostly Harry Potter, some Lizzie Bennet diary stuff, which is also neat, at least for yeah, me. Yeah, I sent those to Jules when she was sick and stuck at home. She was going stir-crazy, and mm-hmm. I said, ooh, I have some fix for you. <laughs> anybody else want to say anything to close us out no i liked it i thought it was very enjoyable yeah it was it, it was a good a good story a good read a good feel good i mean even it doesn't end on the happiest note but it's still a feel-good story mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it was cathartic because you get to yeah see that's a great word mm-hmm. work through these things and it closure. all seems like it would fit in really well. Like there's nothing that I can look at and say, uh, I don't think that's canon, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it fits really well. And I mean, I like a lot of stories that are in no way canon, but mm-hmm. this particular one, it, it really does feel like just missing moments we didn't get to see. Right. Yeah, yeah. for me, I'm more of a traditional, like, like I like stories that, that can fit in the realm, but this one was almost like it could easily be part of it because it it didn't it just fit it it really fit yeah and i'm 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 like you i I, what i liked it was more as a as the adult point of view kind of thing Mm -hmm. and it's it's same at same time you kind of know what's going on in the background which you didn't need to hear about because we already read it but this is kind of yeah, this is a little, little backstory kind of thing. But yeah, I, I didn't uh, hear all of that. <laughs> I know. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was like, can I piece this together? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. No, what I like is it's, it's the backstory. It's, it's the, the adult point of view, like she, like Linda was saying. It's, 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 just, it's just, it's nice. It can fit into it, but it's a different it's just perspective. Sometimes yeah. you just uh, yeah. a more mature voice. Yeah, and sometimes that's what I kind of missed about when when reading Harry Potter. But the thing is, it's not through an adult voice; it is through a child's voice who is becoming an adult until later on. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, there, so, somebody. Um, I was talking to somebody, and, and they said that that's one of the reasons that they like. Um, now, I can't even remember which book it is now, but one of the, the later books is because you get to see more of the adults' perspective and you get to see more things from the adults. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, you know, because when you're, when you're seeing it all through Harry's perspective, you're seeing it all, it, it's, you're missing a lot because Harry's mm-hmm. not one that's going to notice everything. But also, I think Harry thinks, I think Harry thinks he covers what things are upsetting him a lot better than he actually does, which is what mm-hmm. I was looking at. I wanted to see what an adult was thinking, you know, when, when the stuff he was obviously, you know, traumatizing him. And I wanted to see their, their view on it, you know, cause Harry just thinks he's, he's very smoothly and, you know, keeping his straight face. And I'm thinking, I, I think those eyes of his show a lot more than he realizes they do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. 
So, well, we hope that you have enjoyed the uh, start of season nine of Potterfic Weekly. Scott's going to tell you now all the stuff that he says at the end of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you can find us on potterficweekly.com or also poofwa.com goes to the same place. That's P-O-U-F-W-A. You can find us on Facebook at the Facebook group, Poofwa, spelled the same way. And you can find us at potterficforum.com if you want to come and chat in our forums. There's not a whole lot that happens in there, but, uh, you know, we've got some fun games, and occasionally we pop by and say some things. Uh, And uh, we will be back next week or in a couple of weeks with another story. We will. All right. Well, thanks, Belinda, for joining us tonight. Thanks for asking. We will say goodnight, everybody. Ha, you thought we were gone, but we're back. Please enjoy an author interview with Wilmer 06. Bring in Craig. There we go. Okay, cool. So welcome to, uh, actually, we don't have to do too much welcome. Uh, Welcome to our author interview of Ending in Thanks. Uh, Tonight we're going to talk to the author and ask her a few questions and ask her, of course, our favorite question of what did you want to scream at us while you listen to the podcast? And so we will get her views on that. Uh, I'm Sue. I'm Scott. And I'm Mooney. And hi, everybody. I'm Tassie or Realmer06. Yay. And the first thing we want to... You were passing it right. (laughs) So the first thing that we want to say to you is thank you for having a pronounceable name. Happy happy to accommodate. I, uh, I have the worst time. The rest of them do pretty well with it, but I don't do names. I get a smash. No, sometimes their names are just, you know, random lists of characters that don't actually mean anything and uh, aren't supposed to be pronounced as a word. So, you know. <laughs> that does make the... Uh, there, there are the extremes. Difficult. Yeah. Uh, it's always interesting to get some. I like the ones like White Squirrel. I can do that name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just short, descriptive English words, usually good. But you never know what's going to happen with some of them. But, you know, it's hard to come up with a name that hasn't been taken on some of these fan fiction sites. So. Mm-hmm. Well, and mine is yeah. e- eons old. Uh, came up with it when I was 13, so I couldn't even tell you anymore what Realmer 06 was supposed to mean or stand for, um, except that I really liked the word realm. And it was the year I graduated high school, and it had something to do with that. But I was 13, so, yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. You've had it for a long time, then. I have had it for a long I would time. Guess. Um, I think I'm remembering correctly, because we've done a few fix so far, but that this was part of a contest? This was, right? uh, this was or- for a fix fest on uh, LiveJournal. So it wasn't a contest, but it was a prompt fest. A prompt fest, um, okay. Yes, it was mm-hmm. called, I wrote this one for a fest called HP Friendship Fest, which only ran two years, which was really sad to me because I really liked uh, their focus, which was to focus on gen stories and to focus on platonic friendships rather than romance. Mm-hmm. Nice. I feel like we might have to go looking through that and see if we can find some more. (laughs) It ran in 2012 and it ran in 2013 and I wrote a story both years, but those are the only two years it ran, which was sad. Um, but it was a, it's a prompt based fest. And so people submitted 
as many prompts as they wanted, and then anybody who wanted to write read through the list and chose their top three, I think, that they that they were interested in writing stories about. And this prompt like smacked me in the face as if somebody had said, Here, we know what you like to write about. Here's a prompt cater made for it. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, well, that will bring me to uh, Melinda's. So, uh, Melinda's question, if I can get my text open here. Um, she wants to know if you have, well, this is the question, and I don't quite understand it because there's an autocorrect in here somewhere. Oh. Does she have any plans to do more levels me this? So, I think um, she really likes the adult POV during right. canon. Right. So I, it has something to do with that because well, that autocorrect yeah. messed this up big time. When I listened to the podcast that you guys sent, you had talked about some other scenes from within this story that you would have been interested oh, in seeing. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what she's referencing. Well, and um, she did underneath it say, I'd love to see who told Snape about Neville's Patronus. Uh, I think Melinda meant Bogart and not Patronus here. Uh, right, right. So, and I guess the answer to that question is that at the moment, I don't have any plans to explore the moments from this story anymore, but I do like uh, to look at adult characters and kind of get into their heads with moments in the series. I've written a lot with McGonagall. Um, <laughs> we read, I read several there was of those. Yeah, there was actually a wonderful fest on Live Journal that ran for five years called Minerva Fest, and it was just McGonagall-centric stories, and I wrote for that four of the five years. Wow. Um, I love her. She's my second favorite character in the whole series. And Remus is my third favorite favorite. character, so my first is Neville. Ah. Oh, yeah, we're Neville people here, too. love Neville. Okay, so in college, I took a course called Demystifying the Deathly Hallows mm-hmm. that oh my was God, all what? about book seven. It was amazing. Um, and my final project for that class was a 20-page character analysis of Neville Longbottom as a child of prophecy. Wow. Oh my goodness. I am uh, so jealous. It was so much fun. So Neville is my favorite character, and then it's McGonagall and Remus, um, which is one of the reasons why this prompt jumped out at me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, because it's and they're good together. They they mesh really well together, Minerva and Remus. So they do. I can see that they would be fun to to write. They're two of the really good and, teachers that we see in the series. Yes. And they're uh, because she was his head of house. They have that connection as well. Um, like I'm yes. sure Remus and Flitwick would also have interesting things, but it's not. It's a different relationship. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, so, and, and then Prisoner of Azkaban is my favorite book. And so when this prompt was okay. right, McGonagall and Remus and their interactions during Prisoner of Azkaban, I went, yeah, okay, <laughs> sure. Yep. <laughs> no problem. I don't even have to think about this one. I'll just. But I don't. I'm just going to sit down and things are going to come out and it's going to be great. Yeah. That's so cool. And it really is great. It's a great story. It, it just, it really, um, caught my attention. Uh, there's a Facebook group, Hogwarts something or other, I can't remember what it is, that it got wrecked on. And I, I really thought this one would be fun to talk about. So 
I'm glad that we found it through there because a lot of times the stories that we get, we get through Live Journal or somebody wrecks them on our forum, but our forum is basically dead at the moment. So it's hard to find good fic anymore um, that just sort of falls into your lap. So I was really happy that, that this happened. Well, I'm, I'm glad that I could provide it and yeah, I, I love, I'm the kind of author. I love to talk about my writing and I love to talk about my process and I love to hear people talk about my writing cause I'm, you know, egotistical slightly in that way, I guess. Um, more just, you create this thing that you care about so much and you send it out into the world and you're just desperately hungry to hear what other people think about it. Mm-hmm. And to think about, you know, your ideas and your take on things. And so I, I really love to talk to people about my writing and what I've sent out into the world. That's great. Oh. And it's, yeah, it's really, I mean, that's one of the neat things about fan fiction is that you can kind of get instant gratification because you have this, you know, uh, instant replies from people that leave comments and things like that. And some of them are yeah. really good. And I've been around enough authors to know that some of them are really bad, but at least you can kind of get that. Sometimes you can get like kind of a dialogue going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I've made some really good friends through fandom and through fan fiction writing. Yeah. Um, my best friends are all through the fandom and, and fan fiction stuff, you know, and they're all over the world. Scott's in Canada. We've got, uh, Kez's in Australia. We, we have people, uh, we've got somebody in London isn't around much anymore but it's really neat to have these friends that are all over that all kind of came together through harry potter it's pretty amazing yeah it gave me an excuse to go to germany yeah yeah i had forgotten about that (laughs) yeah (laughs) the uh the symphony orchestra in a, a town here in ohio where i live uh, near where my in-laws live was is doing this Harry Potter in concert series. Mm, nice. Where they show the films and then they play all the orchestration live. Right. Yeah. And they're I've doing, heard about it. I've not oh, seen it. Yeah, they're doing one concert oh, a year. So they did Sorcerer's Stone last year and they did Chamber of Secrets this year. And my in-laws got my husband and I tickets to that for Christmas. Oh, so we went down in April. Yeah, we went down in April and that was one of my, you know, overwhelming uh, responses to that was normally if I went to a concert in a town where I didn't know anybody except my husband, I would sit there and only talk to my husband mm-hmm. um, during the breaks, but it was Harry Potter and everybody was Harry Potter. And so you're immediately drawn into conversations with everybody around you yeah. mm-hmm. and you're asking, you know, what's your house and you're asking what's your, you know, experience. Have you been to Harry Potter world? And you know, it's this instant connection. Mm-hmm. You know that everyone and there I is a fan of at least one thing that you are. So. Yeah. You know that everyone loves it. Yeah. And it, and it's what my experience, and I, and I know that there are bad people everywhere, but in my experience, the Harry Potter fans are some of the best people around. You know, mm-hmm. Joe's theme and Joe's uh, story really promotes that. And so the people that you meet and interact with usually are, turn out to be pretty neat people. So you can go into a place like that and be fairly confident when you talk to people because you know that they're probably going to be good people. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Uh, you said you like to talk about your process. So what was your process for this particular story? Was it just uh, this is completely up my alley prompt and it all just came out in one go? Or did you 
outline things or plot it out in some way or? Uh, the way that I tend to write is I tend to write my first draft entirely in my head. Um, just kind of like walking around, picturing things, plotting things out, talking to myself like a crazy person as I walk down the street. Okay, um, we all do that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm such an amazing procrastinator. I'm really good at it. And so it doesn't matter if I have six weeks to write a story, I will inevitably write the whole thing in the week before it's done. Uh -huh, yep. Um, uh. I'm just, I'm real good at that. <laughs> so I have to think back because this was, I wrote this in 2013, so it's been a while. Um, but I think this was probably one of the ones where I went back and reread the book and put a bunch of post-it tabs um, in the book on scenes that I wanted to comment on or include. Uh, so that I could find it for easy reference. Oh, and so that was the, the big thing with this is the prompt that I was actually given asked specifically for, you know, a series of moments. And so immediately this lent itself to the five things fan fiction <laughs> format. Mm -hmm. And so I knew immediately that that's what I wanted to do. I didn't want to limit myself to one scene because the prompt was too rich for that. There was too much that I absolutely wanted to address and I wanted to show. And so then the, the goal became figuring out how I was going to frame it. So five times what, like what was going to be the end of the five times setup, mm -hmm. um, and then which moments to show. And I actually struggled a lot with the framing before I landed on the thank yous. Um, I think I tried a few uh, different things. Like, I knew which scenes vaguely I wanted to do, but I was trying to find the common thread of all of them mm -hmm. to tie into that. And I think at one point it was um, using her name. Oh, yeah. I think at one point that was the direction I was going, and so there's still echoes of that in there mm -hmm. before I landed on the thank you and the gratitude part. Um, yeah, but that's a great part, so... Yeah, I'm, I'm pleased with with what I finally focused on and found. Um, but the scene that I that everything really built towards, and what the scene that everything kind of revolved around, was that scene in chapter five when he sits and he he asks, "Why didn't Sirius kill Ron?" That was what I knew I was building up towards. Like that was the the focal point as I wrote this whole thing was to get Remus to that moment where he's actually finally for the first time verbalizing that it doesn't make sense mm -hmm. and everything he's been told for the last 13 years does not make sense yeah that was a really powerful chapter mm -hmm. that oh that outpouring that big speech that he gives and that took so long to get right mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah i can see that I imagine yeah there's, there's a lot yeah, of but, uh, uh, emotion really... built into that both for us as you know, readers and consumers of the of the series, and for him as a character. So, well, and my heart just breaks for Remus constantly while reading the books because mm -hmm. he's just gone through tragedy after tragedy after tragedy, mm -hmm. and I just want him to be happy. Mm -hmm. And he <laughs> finally gets that moment of like pure, unadulterated joy that he's actually letting himself feel without holding back when Teddy's born. And then he goes and dies. Yeah. And it was devastating to me. I was so upset yeah. when I read the book for the first time. I knew it was going to happen, but as soon as he, like, marches into Shell Cottage and he goes, Harry, I want you to be the godfather to my son, I went, no. Yeah. No. No, because we know it's going to happen then. 
he's going to die. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but he's just such a fascinating character to me because of everything that he's been through and what it has done to who he is as a person mm-hmm. and how he is still such a good person at heart despite all of this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Remus is one of my favorite characters as well. It's, he's you wish things could turn out better for him. That's part of why we yes. like to look for fan fiction where things do turn out well for him. Mm-hmm. I think in some of my uh, po- pre-Deathly Hallows fanfics that I wrote eons ago that nobody should read because they're awful, because I was 18. <laughs> um, but in those, Remus absolutely survives, and I think I made a Minister of Magic in one of them. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. I, just want, mm. I want all the good things for him, and so that was my, my wish fulfillment at 17 years old. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, that's where some of the best fan fiction ideas comes from. What if this happened instead? Or, you know, what if this character got the story they deserve? Or, you know. Mm -hmm. Which is interesting because I don't typically write the what if. Mm -hmm. I I stick pretty closely to canon. Yeah. And I don't, it's only actually recently in the last couple of years that I've even ventured into reading AUs. Um, Interesting. And yeah, I've I've always been a real canon stickler. I have relaxed that slightly just because I've been working on my my next gen universe imaginings basically since Deathly Hallows was published and we got the family trees, and they do not at all fall in line with Cursed Child. And so yeah. I made the decision. I was like, I'm not going to accept Cursed Child as canon. That's the decision I'm making. I think um, a lot so of people kind have of made that decision. That a lot of people have made that decision, and I am one of them. There are bits uh, of it that work, but... It's fan fiction itself. It's not really... It is. It truly and, is. Yeah. And for me, it was less, this is garbage and I want to ignore everything, and more just, but I've already spent six years on this playground building my sandcastle. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. think my sandcastle is more interesting than that sandcastle that the author is showing me. So I'm going to ignore that one, and I'm going to keep the focus on yeah. mine. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to writing within the books that we're given, I I really do try to stick to canon. I like to talk about the what ifs with you know people in person and and spin you know theories and thought experiments and and what have you. But when I write. I really think the challenge for me personally is more how do I fit this into the established canon so that mm-hmm. it, it does fit seamlessly into what we're given. That's more challenging for me than, well, this detail doesn't work, so I'll just change it, change it and tweak it. Yeah. And, and it is. It's, I think that would be really hard to make sure that you get it in seamlessly and, and you do a really good job. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I, I want to bring up, um, because you said Neville, one of our friends uh, is a huge Neville fan. And the other night, I didn't have anything to do. So I was I was waiting for the podcast to upload, and it was going really slow, and I couldn't go to sleep until it did. So I pulled up some of your other stories and went through them and read a few. I read the Minerva, the Letters Home to Molly one and stuff like that. And then I found Neville and Hat. And I was yes, like... Yes, and that is... I was excited when you guys contacted me about this because Ending and Thanks is one of my favorite stories that I've written. It's one of the ones that I'm proudest of. 
Um, it doesn't always roar, which is Neville in the hat yes. in three moments throughout his life is one of my other favorite stories that I've written. Yeah. yeah. That's really good. I, it's really good. As soon as, as soon as the Pottermore information was released about Neville almost being a hat stall mm-hmm. and, uh, he was almost a hat stall and it was between Gryffindor and Hufflepuff and Neville was arguing for Hufflepuff. As soon as I heard that, I went, I'm, I'm writing that. Mm-hmm. That's happening. What? I'm writing that scene. What house are you? I am a Ravenclaw. Okay. Scott and I are both Hufflepuffs. So that, yeah, it hit all the marks for me because I'm a Neville fan. I am the keeper of the sorting hat on our forums and I write the, the sortings for people. And I literally have a sorting hat that hangs in my, my room that I wear when I do the sorting. And it was the Hufflepuff thing. So it, it hit all of my spots. It was really good. And, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, finished it and immediately sent it to our friend Jules, who's also a big Neville fan, and said, you have to read this. And I never heard back from her, so I got to get a hold of her and find out if she actually got my note or not. Yeah, but... You no, know, she posted, didn't she? That she read it? I don't, I don't know. Well, that I don't remember, but at least she knows it. it's there. Well, and I also sent her the... Lizzie Bennett, because she's a huge Lizzie Bennett fan. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And she was- Lizzie Bennett was my first... Lizzie Bennett was the first time I really broke out of Harry Potter since I was in high school. I wrote, like, a couple little tiny other things when I was in high school and early in college for other... I think I've got some Heroes fan fiction mm-hmm. and a little bit of West Wing, whatever. But, like, Lizzie Bennett was the first time I really jumped onto another story the same way I had jumped onto Harry Potter. So I've got a decent amount of Lizzie Bennett stuff too. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's an interesting world and a, a, a neat way of portraying that story. And they did a really good job putting them together. So, and yeah. because of yeah. the way that it's, you know, framed, there's all sorts of missing moments that you can write. Right. Which is what I really like doing. Really like missing moments. I was also excited listening to what you guys talked about um, to hear you bring up from the desk of Minerva McGonagall um, as a reference point when she's writing a letter to Molly because I I interconnect my stories mm-hmm. when I write. They're all in the same version of the universe, so I'll drop little things here and there that connects to another story that I've, I've written. And I try to do it subtly enough so that it can absolutely stand alone and you don't need to read everything else to understand. But if you have read beyond that one story, you do see those connections. And so, yes, when she's writing a letter to Molly, it's the same Minerva who writes letters to Molly in From the Desk of Minerva McGonagall. Mm-hmm. Um, and her, like, end-of-month summaries of all of the horrible things that the twins have gotten up to. <laughs> Yep. Never. Yeah, we we really like the way you know from the desk of Minerva McGonagall, da 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 da, mini, <laughs> basically. Yeah. 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 There's a progression. Having a drink together to just to drown their miseries, Molly and, and Minerva, because mm-hmm. the twins. I, I can't imagine. I've had twins in class before, and. They can be a handful, and I can't imagine twins like the twins. <laughs> they would just... Yeah, well... Yeah. Give you patience. Looks, the way that it's oh, yeah. set out, she you know, generally sends four or five letters a year to any given parent, right. and 
for the twins, she's sending more in six months than she usually does in all seven years. And mm-hmm. and the prompt, uh, the prompt for that one made me laugh out loud when I read it, which is part of the reason I, I latched onto it. The prompt was... Minerva McGonagall sends general reports home on a regular basis. Her owl has started pretending it has an injured wing whenever the name Weasley is mentioned. <laughs> and they wanted, they wanted the epistolary um, story. And so I went, okay, twins, done. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of fun writing that one and choosing what do I reference, what do I make up, mm-hmm. um, how, how far do I go. At some point I had delusions of writing that story to encompass the entire time spent at school by any Weasley children. Mm-hmm. And then Which would have been fun, but long. Really quickly. Yeah. So I was like, let's just focus on the twins. I think that's, that's going to be better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we, we're, we like the twins too. So that's really fun. We've, uh, we've read some really fun fanfic that involved the twins. One of which, uh, where Fred comes back, he gets unfredded, and he they go back in time with the Time Turner and save his life so that he doesn't die, which is a really fun one. And and I swear that that's one of the best. The sequel to that one has one of the best endings for Umbridge that I've ever seen. So that that one always makes me happy because I like seeing Umbridge end in a bad way. Get her comeuppance. <laughs> my uh, one of my best friends loves the twins. They're her favorite characters. And so she's always on me to write stuff about the twins. Mm-hmm. Um, and then regrets it because I make it sad all the time. <laughs> yes, and so they really want a character study on Fred. And so I wrote a story, the, uh, the extraordinary Mr. Weasley and his approximation of obedience, <laughs> um, I think is what I called it. Um, and so I wrote the story about Fred after he's died in limbo before he decides to move on when he's deciding if he's going to move on or become a ghost. Oh, interesting. I'll have to look that up. Yeah, and his... I I played on what Harry goes through, where Dumbledore's there to kind of, like, talk him through it and escort him, and I gave Uh Fred Sirius as an escort. You gave who? Of course. Sirius. I I gave Fred Sirius to be his escort. Perfect. Yes. Um, which I also thought of while I was listening to you guys talk about the podcast because you brought up wanting to see scenes where the twins find out that Remus was Mooney. About the Marauder's Map, yeah. That was, uh, about Trisha. the Marauder's Map. And I, I wrote that moment into that story where Sirius reveals that he's Padfoot and Fred is very angry. Uh, but nobody told him <laughs> while he was alive. Yeah. Um, um, we'll have to send that one to Trisha for sure because she'll love it. But yeah, so I, I wrote that one and I sent it to my friend Maggie and uh, we were roommates at the time and I, I emailed it to her while I was in the living room and she was in her bedroom and like 20 minutes later she storms out yelling, this is not what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, well, it's fun to get reactions like that from people, so that's cool. It is. It's a fun coincidence actually because... I've just sort of been scrolling through your list of stories and had just clicked on that one because I like the title, and then you brought it up. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So. Um, I like to do long, involved titles, as you can probably tell. Mm. Um, actually, the reason this particular story has two different titles, depending on where you're looking at it, mm-hmm. is because fanfiction.net 
has a character limit on their, their titles. Oh, that makes sense. And so I went to post to this story and I got like three quarters of the way through the title and it cut out on me and I went, oh, okay. Hmm. So I had to, Let's see, how can I shorten this? How do I shorten that? Um, and that also happened with, uh, on fanfiction.net, it's called Bedtime Stories. And everywhere else, it's called The Continuing Adventures of Prince Billy and Princess Jean. Mm. And that was that was too long, and it didn't fit. And that's that's Ron as a, a dad telling stories to Rose and Hugo about the adventures that he went on, but making it him and Hermione are, are Prince Billy and Princess Jean, and then their friend Sir Harold. And <laughs> talk, you know that's how he, he tells them the stories. Is he spins these elaborate bedtime stories for them? Oh, fun! Nice. Yeah, it's too bad we we try not to repeat authors very often. It, it, we don't do it more than one in in a season. And sometimes, like Melinda, we've done several of them just because uh, we just enjoy her. And and the first, we're the second generation of this podcast. The first generation, okay, um, did her seventh Horcrux, and then. When we took over, we, we kind of slipped a couple of hers. Actually, I think they did two, and we've done one. So, But, uh, yeah, if we go on to our 10th season, I think we might be uh, revisiting you because you do have That would be great. I, I, and I write a lot, so there's, there's plenty. There's so much. And I've That's been great. writing Harry Potter fan fiction since 2003. Wow. I think I started writing in the interim but right before book five was published. Yeah. A lot of people and got their so start then. I, yeah. Uh, that's when I was first introduced to fan fiction as a thing. And that's when I started writing. And my very early stories are no longer available on the internet because they were so <laughs> bad. I took them down. Um, yeah. We hear that. Okay. Yeah. I think it, the, earliest story I have right now is from like 2005 maybe on my fanfiction account mm-hmm. um, and I leave it there because it's where I, I really got my initial fan base so I have a sentimental attachment to it even though it is horrible um, but the further people when I get notifications uh, from this person favorite of this story there's a comment on this one and when I see one of my early titles my, my instinct is always no no why are you reading that don't leave that <laughs> Don't read that one. The bottom one on the list is from, uh, let's see, August 11th through 20th of 2003. And there's 13 chapters. Oh, gosh. Yep, that's the one. So I guess 2003. That was one of my first, like, really long ones. But please don't read it. Okay. (laughs) We'll scroll up a little little further. Now that you've said that. I know, I know. I'm inviting it on myself. Um, It's real bad. I promise you that. So, how did you get into Harry Potter? What was your um, your my my introduction yeah. into Harry Potter or Harry Potter fan fiction? Harry, well, let's we'll start both. with Harry Potter because you just kind of talked about fan fiction there for a minute. But yeah, you can do both. But right, okay. How, Actually, both start in the same place. They both start with my cousin. Um, my cousin and I are about two months apart in age, and our parents are are all big readers and they would read books to us before we went to sleep up through middle school and high school. Um, and it was this really great experience that we had. And so we would always share with each other, Oh, my, my mom's reading this, my mom's reading that. Mm-hmm. And I was 11 or 12 years old. It was like 1999. 
I think. And she comes up to me. She's like, I'm reading this great book and you have to read it. And then she like spouted this huge long title that I could not remember later at all. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Uh, okay. And then uh, we were together at a family reunion and she's like, my mom's reading from this book that I told you about and you should come over and you should listen. And I said, okay. And so the very first part of Harry Potter that I ever heard was the Halloween chapter of book one. Wow. And I remember, yeah, Troll in the Dungeon. And I remember thinking Malfoy is a really weird name (laughs) because I didn't know it was a last name at that point. Yeah. Because once he's introduced, they just call him Malfoy through the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was like, I'm so confused. I don't know what's going on. I need to find this book and start from the beginning. And so at that point, I think the first three books had been published. And I read through them pretty quickly and then had to wait for the fourth book. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of... That's how I did it. The rest is history. And as a children's librarian, I... I love when I can send kids out with a whole stack of Harry Potter books at once, but at the same time, there's a part of me that's like, I waited three years for the Phoenix. Oh, I know. They, they will never have that experience we've had because, yeah, you know, and that experience to have to wait and to the anticipation of getting the new books. I wonder if that could so be like fun. a program or something where you tra- translate the years into weeks or something. So they get the first three, one each week, and then they have to wait a month, and then they get the next one. <laughs> there you go. That would be interesting. That would be interesting. Uh, but, yes, that's how I was introduced to the series, and I loved it. And I think part of it was because I was 11 years old when I started reading, mm-hmm. and Harry was 11. Yeah. And so then I kind of grew up as Harry grew up. Mm-hmm. And so I was 11 when I read the first book, and I was 19 when the seventh book was published. Yeah. So it stayed, you know, pretty consistent in terms of, of aging and growing up. Mm-hmm. And then, so like I said, I started writing fan fiction before the fifth book came out, and that's because, again, I was at my grandparents' with my cousin complaining about the fact that I didn't have a new Harry Potter book and it wasn't coming out for another month. And what was I going to do? And she goes, well, you can read some fan fiction. (laughs) And I was like, what? She's like, let me send you something. And so the very first Harry Potter fan fiction that I ever read was a Harry Hermione story where they got a hold of a time turner and traveled back in time to the time of the Marauders. Ooh, fun. No, it wasn't a time turner. It was a random time portal in the castle somewhere that they fell through. Oh, okay. Didn't we read that? Possibly. Maybe. Do you know what it was called? I don't, because that was a long time ago, and yeah. I was 14. <laughs> We've read a number of that was the first time travel ones, but I don't know for sure if it would have been that one. No, I think the one we read was just Hermione went back. Yeah, she, she tripped on the stairs when she was, while she was wearing the time turner and broke it and crazy yeah. things happened. Yeah. yeah, I don't think this was the same one, but it might be. I don't know. Um, but I read it and I went, that was really interesting. It wasn't great, but it was really interesting. It, it wasn't great. It wasn't a, a very well-written story, but... But I was, you know, intrigued by the idea of it. And at that point, I actually had this book that was published. And this book is a riot. Um, It's called The Ultimate Unofficial Guide to the Mysteries of Harry Potter. I have that. You have that book. My brothers and I poured over that Is it the blue one? The one that comes out, I think, after? After book four. 
Okay, yeah, I think it's the blue one. I got that for my birthday because you and I are about the same age. Yeah. And so I got that for my birthday when I was like 14, 15. It was very excited. Yeah, it's basically just this like compendium of conspiracy theories about Harry Potter. <laughs> mm-hmm. nice. So they go through they go through chapter by chapter and analyze, you know, this is what happens and these are the things that are recurring and she mentioned socks again. So socks must be very important and there's this mysterious breeze blowing through again. So that keep your eye on that. And then at the end it tries to convince you Snape's definitely a vampire and <laughs> My favorite one, my favorite one, and actually the very first fan fiction I ever wrote was based on this theory. Mm-hmm. My favorite was Remus and James switched bodies before <laughs> the Potters were killed. And so... I don't remember that. The person who died was actually Remus in James's body, and Remus is actually James Potter. Oh, and they had all this evidence to back up this theory. And for mm. some reason, I was obsessed with that theory at that point in my life. Yeah, I can see that. I can see having a good as- obsession about that because that would be really fun. Now, yeah. That's a fic I've never read. Um, well, I wrote it, but it's nowhere on the internet anymore because <laughs> it was really bad. You <laughs> won't let us read it. <laughs> I, hope, I don't even have a copy of it anymore, honestly. Um, I actually did a search before I came on tonight just to see, like I searched Romero 6 and the title of that story just to see if anything popped up and if I'd missed it anywhere and nothing came up. So I did thoroughly remove it from, I, I wrote through the final battle and I had them have this heart to heart after the battle. And I thought that I was so cruel because I killed nine people in the battle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, my sweet summer child. I know. I thought I was like, this is so horrible. I'm so mean to all of these characters. Well, you were just only yeah. nine of them. <laughs> only nine of them, exactly. Mm-hmm. And did you kill Harry? That's the question. I did not kill Harry because he had to be alive to learn that Remus was actually James, his father. Right. I'm your father. I killed Dumbledore. I had Voldemort uproot the Whomping Willow on top of him. That's fun. Oh, now that's a new one. Oh, that, was, that, was my, <laughs> that was my method of death for that character. Hmm. Interesting. That's That sounds really fun. I'm sorry that we can't read it. <laughs> if I ever find it anywhere, I'll send it along for you guys. <laughs> okay. We promise we won't <laughs> podcast about it. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> no, I mean, as much as I, I make noise about my old stuff being awful, because it is, um, but it was awful because I was 13, and I had just decided that I wanted to be a writer, and I'm actually really grateful that I wrote all of that horrible stuff because it made me a better writer. Mm-hmm. And I tell it my really students... Does. It does. And I, I teach a, a writing club, creative writing club at the library I work at, and I tell my, my young writers all the time that writing is like anything else. You have to practice. You're going to be bad at first. The only way you're going to get better is to practice. You have to write things that are bad in order to mm-hmm. improve. Yeah. And so I've written over 700,000 words of fan fiction for various fandoms. And that's why I have the writing talent that I have now is because I've put in all of that time into figuring out what is my voice, what is my style, what works, what doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you have to do I that. I mean, I've been writing thick for 
almost 10 years now, and there are certain things I have not figured out how to do, like action scenes, you know, I could picture it in my head, but I'm same. never going to be able to put that onto paper the way that I can do dialogue. And- well, it just requires different practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I just do shortings. Yeah. All the things I've written have been one shots or little short things. Mm. I, I tend not to come up with plot. I just come up with a scene. And so I write that and maybe two or three scenes connected together. And that's the story. <laughs> I'm, I'm slightly the same way. Um, most of what I write are one shots. They're really long. Um, I tend to average out at about 9,000 words. Wow. On my one shot, okay. yeah, no, I'm notorious for it with the with my friends, um, and I'll say, no, 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 I'm going to write this thing, and it's going to be like two thousand words maximum, and then they're like, how many words did it end up being? Uh huh. <laughs> because so I write, I write really long stories, but I do tend to write stories that stand on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that is because I'm the worst author to follow if I have a work in progress going, because I'm very busy. I don't self-motivate well, and I procrastinate really well. And so it will be like eight months in between chapters, um, regardless of if it's a cliffhanger or not. And I always know exactly what happens next. It's never that I'm stuck. It's just that I don't sit down and write. Mm-hmm. I know the feeling, but eight months is not bad. It has literally been four years since I have updated my fic. The, I, yeah, I bet your readers really appreciate that you mostly do one-shots now because then they don't yes. have to wait because that's tough. Yes, because a couple of years ago I had one that I was writing, and it was a next-gen story, and it was Alba Severus and an original character who – and this story, like, grew out of this other story that I'd written. So I'm writing this huge, long story about a character that isn't in canon that I made up and that nobody has any reason to care about. Mm-hmm. But I'm writing a seven-chapter work-in-progress story about these two and their romance. And every chapter was a cliffhanger. And I think it took me about two and a half years from start to finish to post that whole thing. Wow. Because I'm, I'm awful. I'm the worst. I acknowledge that. And that's why I try to stick to one-shots or things that are fully... Or, or the big project I'm, I'm in the process of wrapping up right now is called Pieces. And it is a next-gen exploration, and it's 18 chapters long, and it is... I've, I've literally been writing it for six years. Wow. But each chapter is an exploration of a next-gen character. So while they are all interconnected, it's not They're all a, a chronological story. They're all separate. So it takes me eight months to post a new chapter, but the chapter stands on its own. Yeah. That sounds really interesting. And that's all that's all done with the epilogue. Is that a Harry Potter one, or is that a different... Is that's that a Harry different Potter. Mm-hmm. And that's say Harry the name Potter. of it again? It's, it's called Pieces, A Story Cycle. Okay. And yeah, it's one chapter per next-gen kid, and I did all of the next-gen kids that J.K. Rowling told us about in her little tree. Mm-hmm. Um, uh-huh. So it's got all the Weasley Green kids and Lorcan and Lysander, Luna's kids, and Scorpius is in there. And then I decided that I was going to give Neville a kid. Uh, so I have I have two original characters in there. I have Neville's kid and I have Dudley's kid because I really wanted to give Dudley a magical kid. Mm-hmm. Ah, we, you do. We've covered a couple of fics where Dudley has a magical kid, and they're always really fun to do. I think one he yeah. embraced her, and the other one he got rid of. So we kind of we hit mm-hmm. both both ways that he would 
would do it. I like redeemed Dudley. Mm-hmm. I do too. I think redeemed Dudley is interesting, more interesting. So yeah, so I've, I've got that one and it is all done. All of the moments are done. And the only thing that's left to do on it is this epilogue where I want to just kind of consolidate all of my further headcanons for each of these kids. Cause I've come up with many of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so each chapter is like this one defining moment from their childhood. And then the epilogue will be, and then I imagine that this happened to them and this and this and this. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. And so you haven't Which posted it yet. I have posted everything except the epilogue. Okay. So everything else is available to read on, on AO3 and on fan fiction. Cool. I really got to get my iPod my text reader back working so I can read my fix while I work in the yard. Uh, as a teacher, I'm off for the summer, so I have lots of time to read while I'm gardening and without the text reader to read it to me, it makes things so difficult. <laughs> yeah, it would. Uh, were there other things that you um, heard us podcast on that you... I mean, we, we famously say to, pe- to authors that we interview... What were you screaming at us through the podcast that was like, that's not what I meant. You took it the wrong way. Any Anything like that that you want to back? Not, not really, actually. It was a lot of, like, emphatic head nodding. Like, yes, yes, you understood. You got it. You understood what I was Yay. trying to do. That was, that was really exciting. Or it was me going. That's always fun. Oh, okay. They've said this thing, and I want to make sure that I bring this point up with it. And then, like, three seconds later, you would bring that point up. And so that was, it's like, okay, checking all the boxes on the list. Um, I, yeah, I do want to say to Scott specifically that I love, absolutely love that you recorded this. And yeah. when I first got sent the link to it, I was like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll plug in. I'll listen to it a little bit. Um, and it was so much better than I expected it to be. Well, thank um, you. It was just really, really well done. And I, I actually, like, legitimately started crying about 30 seconds into it just because of being overwhelmed that, that somebody would take the time to do something like that about something that I created. Uh, was really meaningful for me. Yeah, it, it really spoke to me, and I like both of those characters, and it was it was fun to do. So. Yeah, it was really well done, and I love listening to it, and I've listened to it a couple times. Um, and the only part about it that I have any, like, not completely glowy feelings for is not your fault in any way. Um, Snape has exactly one line in the story. He has one line of dialogue. Mm-hmm. My husband and I follow a webcomic for Harry Potter, um, and we call it the Dumbleburn comics because that's a running joke through them. Is Dumbledore making bad jokes at Snape's expense? Um, <laughs> I would try to give you a more definitive way to find this by telling you who the artist is, but her username is literally the longest word in the English language. It's like long scientific word that I can't even come close to pronouncing. Okay. So I call it Flocka, which is like the beginning of the word. Um, but we, we follow that comic and every time there's a new one, my husband will read it out loud to me because it always has me in stitches. And your <laughs> snake is exactly the same voice that he uses for snake. <laughs> So I got to that point and I heard that line and I went, oh, whoa, no, that was weird. Because <laughs> we're all imitating Alan Rickman. I guess. I guess that's what it is. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But no, that was, that was such a lovely, a lovely thing to have um, and to listen to. So thank you so much for doing that. You're welcome. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. 
I'm trying to think if there's any of our usual questions we haven't asked yet. Um, one that comes to mind is, is there any particular ambience you like when you write? Like, do you sit in a particular place or do you have music that you listen to or does it all just depend you know, on I which story? That, slightly depending on which story. I think if I had an actual, like, writing setup, I might be better about writing. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I'm usually just curled up on the couch with my laptop and um, I have to find the right thing to have on in the background because if it's too quiet, I can't write. Mm. And so I tend to play the TV and I, I will play some like reality show like Great British Bake Off or American Ninja Warrior or something like that that I don't have to like completely focus on and, and sit and write. And then that becomes too distracting. And so it's finding that balance. Um, so yeah, so I I think if I had like a desk space and like, now I'm going to write, I'm going to this place where I write and I'm going to write. I might be better about it. Um, mm. but no, I just, I tend to curl up on the couch and type away. <laughs> oh, that's equally valid and it obviously works. <laughs> I really like that you plan it mostly in your head before you write it down. One of mm-hmm. my favorite, um, Western writers is a male, a postal carrier that worked that worked in London or Britain somewhere, and he wrote all of his stories while he did his route. And then when he'd come home, he'd type yeah. it out. How does he do what? And so he, yeah, as he did his his route, he he'd think of it and he'd get it all planned out. And then when he'd come back home, he'd type it out on a typewriter because you know. Oh, he didn't literally I, oh. write it as. Me. No, he okay. he thought it in his mind. Right, yeah. You write no, it in your I, head. I was and... imagining him like trying to write it out as he was driving, and I'm like, that that sounds very dangerous. <laughs> yeah, um, well, I, I I live in a. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I just so that that just that kind of gives me the warm fuzzies because of, of this Western author that I like so much, and knowing that that's how he did it, and that's how you do it. it just it's kind of neat. Well, yeah, I live in a small town, and I walk most everywhere, and so. That, that is, like, I understand that impulse entirely because I'm walking the same route every day to get to working to get back home. And so that's how I keep my mind occupied. And then my trouble is holding on to what I've, the perfect combination of words that I've come up with on my walk home and holding on to them until I can get home and sit in front of my computer. And I also have the really bad habit of getting up from my computer to go do something else, like use the restroom or wash dishes or, or make food. I have the bad habit of continuing to write the scene in my head when I'm up and moving around. And then I get back to my computer and go, oh, oh, I'm, I'm not this far along. <laughs> and I need to go back and recreate all that. Yeah. You need a, a dictation thing or something so you can just I do. record it as you're going. But, then, you, know, you know, dishes, sounds, or what have, have you in the back. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's how I do, like, the dialogue and, and the big speeches that people give is I, alone in my apartment, I will, you know, say these things out loud and, and find, you know, what sounds right and, and, uh, and then, again, remembering the combination of words so that I can type it down. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah, I've heard people say that, you know, if, you, if you're if you having trouble doing a conversation, to say it out loud, because there, there's mm-hmm. a difference in the cadence of, of when you're actually speaking and when you're writing. And so if you can read it out loud, you can kind of figure out what that cadence is. And reading out loud, yeah, is always my last step 
uh, when I write something before I post it or before I send it in, if it's for a fest, um, is I will call up my friend Maggie, um, who has been my beta reader for years because I met her in college, and I read the stories out loud to her because mm-hmm. it helps me find it helps me find typos. Mm-hmm. Um, it helps me find uh, sentences that are very weirdly phrased. Um, it helps me find those little places that need to be, be tweaked. And so, but that is always the last step that my writing goes through is it gets read out loud, um, to her, because I I think I mentioned earlier, I'm a theater person, I'm a theater major. Mm -hmm. And so I'm used to encountering stories in that way. And so it really helps me get that, that final handle on them. Mm. That's one of the things with the text reader when it worked for me was I, when I would highlight things, um, because when we read something, we know kind of what it's supposed to stay. And especially as an author, uh, the authors that I've talked to, you know, you've done the scene and done the scene so many times and you've written it and tweaked it and done all this stuff that in your mind, you see how it's supposed to be, even if it mm-hmm. really doesn't say that on the paper. And so the text to speech re- readers work really well because they pick up the things that your eye no longer catches. Yeah. And I can't tell you how many times that I catch a lot of he's and she's that are switched. You know, it's supposed mm-hmm. to say he and, and it'll say she and, and your eye doesn't pick that up because that's the word. That's a word. But when you're right. listening to it and, and it, you're like, oh, wait, that's a that's something that's not supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. So I, I really understand the reading out loud. I, I see how that would work because that's how it works with the text reader for me. Mm-hmm. What I find when I'm writing most often is there'll be words that I just skip because I know what the phrase is supposed to be. So whenever I'm reading over it, I fill it in, but it's not actually there because yeah. <laughs> my typing finger has gotten ahead of my brain or what have you. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm looking at my list and I said, we've got all this stuff. Oh, but um, would you like to promote your podcast? Sure, sure. I can kind of promote wherever I am on the Internet, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can do all of those Um, things. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, okay. So, um, yeah, I write a lot of fan fiction, and I am on AO3 and fanfiction.net as Realmer06. I also... I have a lot of people ask me if I have published any original work, and the answer is not exactly. Um, I've written a lot of original stuff that hangs out on my hard drive waiting for it to be ready to go off into the world. But um, a good friend of mine and I actually co-wrote, inspired in largely by the, the storytelling format of the Lizzie Bennet Diaries, a good friend of mine and I co-wrote an interactive text-based novel that was released serially in real time um, in 2016 to 2017. It's called The Art of Letter Writing A to Z, and the interactive element is done originally, like you could interact with all of our characters on social media um, as the story was being released, but that element, of course, is, is no longer, you know, viable. Um, but the whole story in its entirety can be read at artofletterwriting.com. Um, so that's, that's where you can read my writing online, and then I contribute to a podcast called Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Uh, where me, yes, uh, myself, my husband, and two of our good friends uh, get together, get drunk, and talk about Shakespeare plays. 
That sounds awesome. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Um, we have, I think, I want to say 15 or 16 episodes out right now. We've done about eight plays so far. Our goal is to work our way through the entire Shakespearean canon. Excellent. Um, yeah, so we're going to be recording our next one in a week or so. They come out bi-weekly. Um, and so, again, that is Shakespeare. Okay. And I believe, I'm not sure where that's posted. I think it's on iTunes that you can find that. Um, but it's through a company called Lion Face Productions. And so if you search Lion Face Productions Shakespeare, you should find us. And so, yes, if you like Shakespeare um, and you like hearing people analyze literature and theater, we are the podcast for you. It sounds good, and it does come up um, in iTunes. I just pulled it up on the Fantastic. store. So. Yeah, so uh, again, there's lots of diversions and distractions, and we talk about Jedi bears a lot for a Shakespeare podcast. Sounds like but, us. Uh, yeah, it's a good time. So lionfaceproductions.com backslash, backslash Shakespeare cool. is where you can find and listen to the episodes for free. Yeah. And then my husband also has a podcast. If you like D&D, he has a podcast he runs called Another Path. Oh, that's cool because Scott and I are both D&Ders, so that would be really fun. Yeah, I'll have to look into that. Yeah, so that that one, that's been going for about a year, so check that out too. Nice. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we don't want to keep you up too late and the others as well because I know it's getting late for me. Um, So if there's... It's not too late. Yeah, I know. It's a fairly early night for us. I have to go back out and work in the garden pretty soon. Um, Unless there's something else that somebody else has. Any questions we didn't ask? None specific that I can think of. Uh, Is there anything else that uh, you'd like to address, Cassie, that we haven't brought up? I think I've, I've mostly checked everything off my list. Like I said, I like to talk about my writing, so I would talk all night about it, but... Uh, I realize that all good things must come to an end. Are there any others of your fanfics that are your particular favorites that you'd recommend? Oh, golly. Um, The ones that we've mentioned so far, so uh, It Doesn't Always Roar, which is the Neville and Sorting Hat story Mm -hmm. um, from the desk of Minerva McGonagall, which is McGonagall and the Twins. I wrote one called Roads Not Taken, which is the closest to an AU I've ever done, Mm -hmm. and it it explores the... uh, choices that McGonagall and Molly made in their youth and how different choices could have led them to different places. So it explores the question of what if Minerva had married the muggle boy that she was in love with when she was 18 and what if Molly had become an Auror instead of marrying Arthur. Yeah. And it kind of explores the, the parallel lives they might have, have led. Um, and so that one's called Roads Not Taken. And I'm pretty proud of that. And then Pieces is my, my current baby that, like I said, I have been writing for literally about six years now. Um, nice. And that's just my next-gen exploration. Well, I'll have to look into and that. And those, those are the big ones. Um, and then I write quite a bit of Lizzie Bennett Diaries. Um, and if you've read Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda by Becky Albertalli, that's my latest literary obsession. Hmm, um, don't know that. Oh, it's so good. It's a, it's a young adult novel. Um, it's about a closeted high school student who, uh, not over an anonymous Tumblr, finds another closeted high school student at his school, and they start an anonymous um, email exchange with each other. Wow. 
while he's trying to figure out how to be comfortable as a gay student and how to come out. Um, and it's, it's his, his coming out story and it's just beautifully well done and so well written. And it's my, it's my latest obsession. Oh, and uh, I wanted to mention this too, because somebody brought it up during your, your podcast discussion. Somebody mentioned the night circus, which is possibly my favorite book of all time. Yeah, that was Trisha. It was good. So good. You're talking about Jim Dale audiobooks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she had just finished it and, and was really, really loving it. And so she, when she recommended it to us, I picked it up, and I really liked it, too. It was a lot of fun. Not at all what I was expecting, but, it, yeah, it was really neat. It was a, it was a great yeah. read, and, and listening to Jim Dale read it was, was great, too. Oh, so. is, he's because he's brilliant, mm-hmm. yeah. And then I think if I was going to recommend one more story or so. Um, I wrote one on the founders called From Valley Broad and Fen, which explores Helga and Salazar a little bit more. Nice. Um, for all of you Hufflepuffs. And uh, I, I wrote a fun one last year for the Inner House Fest on Live Journal called All the Muggle Things, which is Justin Finch Fletchley and Hermione Granger bonding over what they miss about the Muggle world. Yeah, that one's Namely, fun. Namely, pencils. <laughs> pencils and... Uh, steady light and sleeves that aren't gigantic. <laughs> yeah. Makes it a lot easier to was, take that notes. That was fun. That was a fun one to write. Yes. Yeah. Cool. But yeah, and so, yeah, if anybody wants to find me, you can find me at AO3 and fanfiction.net under Romero 6. I'm also on Tumblr as Intelligence Having Fun. Okay. And yeah, I'm Tumblr follower to find. <laughs> yes, that's me. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and so I'm. I'm never. I'm always open to people saying, "I had this thought about Harry Potter and the story, and would you ever consider writing something like that?" Because who knows when inspiration strikes. It, it sounds like you um, like prompty kind of things. I do. I do. It, it helps me focus my ideas better. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can see that. I kind so, of. Oh yeah. So I, I. I. I've written. I've honestly written some real short things because a, a girl came into my inbox once and went. My birthday is on Saturday, and I really love your Rose and Scorpius stories. Will you write one for me? And I went, okay. <laughs> and so I, I wrote her this really quick little Rose and Scorpius story. And uh, so, yeah, I like to interact with people who like to read my writing, and I uh, like to talk about it. So, I, yeah, come into my inbox on Tumblr, by all means, and chat away. Cool. Yeah, we, when the forum was up and running, we had a, a prompt, a writing prompt corner. It was just for drabbles. And mm-hmm. I really missed that because that that was a lot of fun just to be able to, you know, get a little prompt and, and write something. And then whoever you the, – uh, the prompter picked the story they liked best, and then that person got to do the next prompt. Oh, that sounds like fun. We should do that again. Yeah, if we can get people on the forum, I'd love to. <laughs> I found the forum again forum. yesterday, day before, yes. something like that. I saw you were on the forum the other day. You even went in the newbie page. I was like, oh, Scott's here. I just responded to all the things, mostly. Some of which hadn't been posted for almost a year, but, uh, you know. I know. <laughs> yeah, that, that's one thing, Cassie, that we do for our authors that do an, uh, an author interview is if you want to come to the forum, which I have said is pretty much dead, um, we do award authors the Order of Merlin. Oh, shucks. Golly. Uh, if they're 
if they're members, <laughs> but there's not much going on, so it's it's sort of a moot point. Nobody'd see it but me. But if you want to join the forum and get your order of Merlin, just let me know that it's you, and I'll type you up something. I just, I just might. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been a lot of fun, guys. And again, I'm so flattered and honored that you chose my story and read my story and liked my story and had such lovely things to say about it. And I'm happy to come back anytime. I know that you don't generally repeat authors too much, but um, if you ever wanted to, I'd I'd be happy to reappear. You have a vast quantity to choose from. And there's several that I really like. So, like I said, if we pull off. There's a pretty good chance. We will keep you in mind because, yeah. And if you if you read and you leave a review and you let me know it's one of you, then I will happily start a massive reply chain with you. Okay, cool. Sounds good. Duly noted. <laughs> uh, once it drops, then you're welcome to share it on any of your stuff too, you know. Fantastic. Get it out there. We, we love to spread the joy. So, sure, absolutely. Yeah, like I said, we've had quite a hiatus, so there's probably not a lot of people out there looking for us right now. So it'd be nice to throw it, throw it back open. So thank you very much for being willing to come for, uh, you know, being happy that we picked your story because not everybody loves what we do. Um, and I'm glad that uh, we were able to get a hold of you because we do have a lot of authors that we review that we never, ever hear from. Or yeah. A lot of people just aren't in the fandom anymore or aren't on fanfiction.net or wherever we find their picture, their stories. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Well, I writing has never been a solitary thing for me. Um, it's, it's something I love to talk about and I love to share with people. So I'm happy to be here. Yeah. And we're glad to great. have you. Thank you. All right, and I guess with that, we will say goodnight, everybody. Goodnight, everyone. Night. Or, you know, morning or afternoon or whenever it is you're listening to this. Bye. Bye. (laughs) So hold on to the wonder that those books brought to us. Keep each other safe. Keep faith. Good night.